What's up, everybody? Hello. All right, make sure we're up and running here. Dun, 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 dun. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Getting up on Facebook here. Hey, everybody. All right. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back. Actually, podcast. I'm Chris. I'm DJ. And we are back to continue our reflections on John Pravecki's Awakening from the Meaning Crisis series of lectures. We've thus far watched the first 10 episodes, did a little bit of commentary while we watch those. You can go back and the episodes here on YouTube or Spotify or wherever you're listening and check those out if you like. Highly encourage you to check this series out. And... Um, Oh man, let me make sure I'm on the right. Yeah, we're on a good screen here. <laughs> yeah, so right. we've been going through this gentleman, Mark Mulvey's medium here, as he did a whole series of notes on each episode. So along with his notes and our notes, his because they're just friggin' excellent. They're so helpful. Um, we're gonna go ahead and try and quick summarize each of the previous episodes. We already did the first five. Uh, in our previous reflections thus far, we're actually giving ourselves time to make sure that we're really like soaking this in, understanding it, comprehending it in a way that we can explain it in our own words, and giving all of you time to catch up with us in case you catch us in the middle of this and you're interested. So probably after after the next 10 episodes of the series, John Bervakey's Awakening series is actually 50 lectures long. We'll probably do another reflection series at that point. And uh, yeah, if you guys are enjoying these, Definitely uh, feel free to chime in, share your thoughts and questions, and we'll be sure to get back to you if uh, not during this episode, next episode. But yeah, let's jump back into it here. So, last episode was Plato in the Cave. Now we're up to episode six in our reflections, Aristotle, Kant, and Evolution. Yep. So, let's get off with this first quote here from Verveke from this episode. Part of what makes your life meaningful is that you have cultivated character that allows you to actualize your potential. You've created a virtual engine that regulates your development in a way in which you grow up. This is where we get this kind of language, grow up, expand, even Mario growing, you know, when he Mm -hmm. becomes Super Mario and eats the magic mushroom. Not the good one, not the bad one. No, yeah, and I mean, the mushroom can even represent wisdom, yeah. which can be found many numbers well, of that's ways. what mushrooms do. They grow up and they grow out and they... They do they indeed. Do it's like thing. a virgin birth. Start out as like an egg that then grows into a phallic symbol. And it's also dispersing itself with billions of little spores. But it's at, that's, that's just the fruiting part of the organism. Mm-hmm. That's basically just this reproductive parts, the part that we see above ground, the actual body of a mushroom. It's its mycelial network that's under the ground that allows all forests on the planet to exist, which they couldn't exist without us constantly trading nutrients with the trees that they live yeah, in. Yeah, what did uh, Paul Stamets say? Trees are mushroom farmers and mushrooms are tree farmers. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Yeah, also he said that uh, mushrooms are like Earth's internet. It's very true. The largest organism on the planet is a giant mycelial network. That's like square miles in size. And they are... Pretty much invulnerable, even though the cell membrane 
it, you know when you lift up like a log in the forest like a dead decaying log and you see a bunch of white stuff that looks like spider web that's actual mycelium that's mushroom root and that root is one cell membrane thick yet these things are invulnerable um, as an organism like they just will last forever unless they're burned up basically and they can even survive in space so this planet was potentially well we you know by yeah. spores from mushrooms well it was yeah. definitely terraformed by funguses before anything got up on the ground so or or proto fungi or whatever you want to call them that is the first living organism that lived on land and then when they decayed they broke the rock oh, yeah. the solid magma up into dirt slowly into earth over millions of years and by the time that the m- first plants were maybe like two and a half three feet tall mushrooms were up to 20 30 feet tall and they're all over the planet except they weren't like this to- whole place was like they weren't like toadstool mushrooms they were more just like monolithic you know whatever's but I, yeah, the I, first plant I was too, it looks like a mushroom with like branches that just kind of go straight yeah. and they look kind of nubby either yeah it's really weird looking looks like it would be slimy that was like the first plant yeah mushrooms tend to be slimy and when they're not we find them tasty <laughs> sometimes they're poisonous sometimes they're not mm-hmm. can you imagine being the first people to figure out like which ones are good and which ones aren't you know like how, how many ancestors did we lose to like experimenting on which funguses are good to eat and which aren't like Ooh, we probably lost a lot of people it's generations old knowledge took a long time to learn mm-hmm. find out what was safe and what wasn't well you see apes in the wild will just take the tiniest bit of something they're not familiar with and they'll eat it and then they'll wait like 10 minutes and they'll take another bite and then they'll wait and they'll take another and that's kind of how they test things out yeah but when you have two mushrooms that look almost identical and one is great to eat and one will kill you. Like the Amanita muscaria yeah, and the Amanita and, pantherina. And then, and then figure it out, oh, crap, there's a difference. They look the same. Mm-hmm. But what makes them different? So I don't accidentally put, you know, toxic mushrooms. Yeah, in never my... pick mushrooms unless you really know what you're doing or you're with a mushroom guide. And I think kind of mycology expert. Yeah, what is, what, what's the saying? There are old mushroom hunters and bold mushroom hunters, but there's no old, bold mushroom hunters. There you go. Yeah. That makes sense. I guess so. Uh, yeah, we're gonna yeah forgive me if I, if I sound all n- nasally and I'm snorting over here. I got over. I've, I'm getting over a head cold or whatever it is. Advantageous little bugs hijacking my uh, sinuses. No fun. No. No, it's that time of year, isn't it? Yep. All right, I'm just sharing this up here real fast. Share, share, and share, share. Can you see that all right, Mr. DJ? Uh, well, if I need to see it better, I'll I'll go closer. I'm also blind. Let me get you some glasses, boy. Yeah, I know. I just want the really good ones, and I just got to make sure I know what I want. As if I'm going to spend good money, you know. It's analysis paralysis. Which ones do I want? What do I want to do with it? Ah, yeah. uh, yes. Well, Aristotle. We've learned about Aristotle now. Student of Plato, though eventually breaking away and famously stating, while I love Plato, I love the truth more. Aristotle's issue was that Plato's philosophy didn't really adequately account for change. He was more interested in how things grow, how they develop, the process how, through which they unfold, how they're learned over time, 
relevant for people looking to live a meaningful life since growth is a word used to indicate the presence of meaning in one's life and in some sense of in, in, and in some sense the development of wisdom and we and it really is indicated indicative of meaning in our life when we think of how we can grow up grow more mature grow more able well nothing more nothing in the universe ever stays the yeah. same either you know it either right. decays or it grows so you know i have this oh i have this postulation that life is the antithesis of um uh, what do you call it um Oh, the decaying of high energy into low entropy. Yes. So life is like the contrary force in the universe that opposes entropy. It makes order out of disordered things, whereas entropy, mm-hmm. everything decays into disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything is either growing or decaying. So then there's a movement to it. it and um, as we found out in this episode and later on in the notes, we'll see the issue of there was an idea and still this idea for the most part, you know, a leads to B, B leads to C. Mm -hmm. So you push on the box, the box moves. If nothing's pushing back, the box keeps moving. Right. 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 Which is useful in a lot of ways, but it doesn't cover like how a tree grows because a tree trees. It's not a B C it's a B C back to a to B to C to back to a to B. And it's a cyclical and life is like this was really profound idea at the time. So we had noticed how things go from A to B. We had started to re- recognize yeah. cause and effect as we started to try more rationally break things down. Yeah, and, and we don't like the yeah. uh, we don't like the recursive looping, but mm-hmm. life is a recursive loop. Tis, tis. Uh, understanding is too. You, know, you don't just you know gain a knowledge, move on, gain the another next, move on, gain the next. It's always you always have a recycling point where you come back and and. I don't want to say like relearn, but relearn do, yeah. the it's same like you stuff more, over and over, but more deeper. Depth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's always more it. definition. Well, it's like watching a movie, if you, like a movie you really like. Hmm. You know, yeah. the first time you see it, and the second time you see it, you start to see more nuance, and then the third time you see it, you see even more, and now the fourth time you see it, you see all the holes in it. And then, you know, the fifth time you see it, you're like, well, they could have done this better, but you know, I say it, then you know. Um, so you see more and more and more as you recursively loop. You know, not not so great for definitions, like to define things to make something definite, um, but being able to think and I guess organize understanding and information in a cyclical manner is beneficial, even though we don't like them. Like yeah. as far as like, yeah, yeah, it's uh, this is where we started to develop structural functional organization ideas of logos and idos yeah so the opposite of a, not a feature list right like, you know yeah. instead of defining things as well the bird has wings it has uh two feet it has a beak and it flies well you know um you throw a dead bird out of an airplane it's mm-hmm. not a live bird it'll, it'll be flying and it's got a beak and all that stuff but it's not a live bird you no. can define the same no, features. No, there's something that makes birdness. Yeah. The, you can't just have a bunch of the features of a bird, the beak, the wings, and things. Yeah, and it's just in a box, and then that's a bird. Well, it has to have an action, and that's where we get the word actually. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it actually? What is What's it actually? its actions? What is it what actual is it? function? All these What's things. What's structural, and what, yeah. functional 
organization. organization. How is it structured in the way that functions? What? How does that organization look? So what makes wood beha behave more like a chair as mm, opposed to yeah. a table or a ship? This is where we get the notion of actuality. Yeah, you nailed that. Why does a piece of wood act like a chair or act like a table? For Aristotle, the answer was its form, which doesn't mean shape as it does in the modern sense, but the structural functional organization. Yeah. Its form and function. Mm -hmm. What's its shape as well as what is it doing? Yes, so like, and the relation of those is what, how they're, and, and how they're organized is what makes it that thing that it is, the bird. Yeah, a chair is a chair because you sit on it. But you can sit on the ground and use it as a table. Because you can see it as something that you could use. Yeah, yeah, you could use it as a step ladder. You, you could, could use, use it as it. a table. Yeah, yeah. or step stool. Or, or, yeah. yeah, depending on what is its function as well as what its shape is. This is where we get the idea of potential. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Potential. Potential. P o t e n t i l. What's that spell? Potential. When a thing with potential starts acting like something, it begins to have a form. This is where we get the notion of in formation from in formation that's really cool so it's in a certain kind of formation to make it make sense when you put a form into something then you actualize its potential the newtonian model of cause and effect was becoming successful and overtaking aristotle's model and kant talks about why this was it gives us a very simple so this is now Immanuel kant gives us a very simple, obvious way of explaining something. It prevents circular explanations because it's linear. A mm. circular, circular explanation assumes the very thing you're trying to explain in your explanation. So Kant coined the term self-organizing to describe a tree. Mm. So that's self-organizing. Yeah, he goes outside and he sees a tree and he's like, wait, how does this thing explain how is how can i explain this yeah. this isn't just a to b because the leaves are part of what make a tree a tree but a leaf makes a tree yeah. leaves well, are part of what make a tree a tr tree a tree but a leaf makes a tree this i don't know if i'm understanding how he wrote that well okay so i, I understand the, that idea but yeah the yeah. seed well the, what is it that makes a tree a tree the leaf is, is not a tree but the leaf trees um it does okay. what a tree is yeah it's it can't have leaves without trees well you could have trees without leaves of course but, but you can't the, but the, you can't the leaf makes the tree um yeah, yeah. i guess a way to, a yeah, way to put it is threw, you threw could off. yeah makes, you could take that makes sense you could take a leaf from a tree and you could graft it or you could put rooting hormone on it you could make an entirely other tree out of that leaf mm-hmm um, and the tree makes the leaf, but the leaf also makes the tree in the sense of like, you know, the tree feeds the leaf, the leaf feeds the it's tree a, as it's well. It's a feedback cycle too. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the leaves gather the nutrient energy from the sun and what is above and the earth gather it from below. And then there's an mm -hmm. interchange between the two. Um, and it's, it's organic too. So it, it, it continues and it actually, you know, makes more of itself as right. well. Yeah. And, Life does that. The whole that. thing's recursive. Life makes more of itself contrary to what it should, you know, in a yes. static universe, if you will, or a linear universe. There should be a prime mover before something that made all the things happen. But, you know, the chicken or the egg, which came first? Mm -hmm. Well, yes. something before chicken, then the egg happened, and then we got something right. closer to what we call chicken. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know. So it's the egg. 
But, you know, before we had eggs and we had single-celled, you know, organisms that just, like, budded and did other things, you know. Like, we all have a relative that at one point mm-hmm. spawned off of itself. It was chicken-like before it was a chicken. Yeah, <laughs> chicken-like. Uh, it sounds like uh, the nuggets you get at the McDonald's. Chicken-like. Chicken-like. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when you try to give an explanation of a feedback cycle, you fall into a circular explanation. And Kant thus came to the conclusion that there could not be a science of living things. He's like, okay, screw this. This is, this doesn't make sense. How can you do this? It's self-organizing. So for a long time, there was a gap between biology and physics. If we don't untangle this, we can't get closer to meaning since it's so tied up with growth and change and how and why we are the way we are. So where's the flaw? The Newtonian model of causation, cause and effect. Why? Alice, who, who were, how would you say that? Huarero. Huarero? Makes use of an important idea from Aristotle in order to solve this problem. She makes a distinction between causes and constraints. Mm. Causes equal events, constraints equal conditions. Constraints don't make things happen. They make things possible. That's right. Yeah, that's and it's how we like, you know. This is dynamical systems theory. And how we speculate on like, you know, uh, what, why we would look at one planet or moon versus another if we were looking for life. Mm-hmm. Certain constraints, which are the conditions for life, like we need water within certain temperature ranges, so certain right. chemical reactions can happen. There has to be a presence of certain other mm-hmm. conditions in order to create the potential. We're not right. looking for the life. We're looking yes. for the potential of the life. Yes, yes, that's a good way to put it. I have a note here. To understand what we need as living things, with meaning being integral to us, we cannot, we can't, un- we can't understand what we are unless we understand our relation, our interaction, our feedback loop with everything around us mm-hmm. as well. We need to understand how things grow, how we can grow, and how things are informed so that we can be better informed. So we're looking for causes and constraints. Mm. Yeah. Causes <coughs> lead to events that happen into ac- and then that turns into actuality. Yeah, it takes uh, potentiality and turns yes. it into actuality. And then constituents lead to conditions, lead to possibilities, possible forms, possible structural functional organizations and then that goes to potential so biological events the structure of a tree shapes the possibility of events to create potential this is like the law of emergence this is like trying to describe the law of emergence which is and we use scientific terms when you look up the word emergence and it's like the the term elegant is used there to describe how it's like the idea of greater than one, like two different things can come together or multiple things can come together that can together mm-hmm. create something that is greater than the sum of its parts. Something new emerges well, like life in a universe and how does emergence happen and why is that even a principle of the universe is really an, an intriguing philosophical concept. Well, it's when one plus one doesn't equal two, but equals three and life does that as well. You know, you have um, you have male, female 
they come together. There are two things, but through that, it creates a third thing. Hmm. Um, so <laughs> that's, um, you know, emergence, if you will, but that that's life, you know, yeah. no wonder they you know, had a hard time bringing like the physical sciences and biology, which is very physical together. It's like the math don't work. It's one plus one equals three. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really just one, 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 one. Yeah. All the way. Yeah. It's one thing that can bifurcate itself infinitely. But that's another subject. That's another story. Yeah, that's, that's what another, is that I, the square the square root of negative one, I, the imaginary number, and then it's, what is it, I times I is one. So uh, the universe is imaginary. I may have that I kind like of this. wrong, but that, yeah, that's that's the... That makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense to me. I'm so not good at square roots. So. flaw? Aristotle considers constraints more important. For example, why does a tree have the form it does? It's the why? Most, most efficient in it's order to... It's the most to, efficient way for it yeah. to... Yeah. Why does it grow in a way that branches, that the branches spread their leaves out? Because they're trying to change the possibility of a photon hitting a chlorophyll molecule. Life is just mind-boggling. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. smart, you know? It's smart. not just a bunch of dumb, inanimate no. stuff. The structure of the tree shapes constraints the possibility of events. This isn't a circular explanation because it talks about two different things, mm -hmm. actuality and potentiality. Working together opposed to... Yes. Opposed to going, you know, boom, boop, and then boop. It's two things that work together and work around each other. You know? mm -hmm. um, yeah. And a feedback cy cycle mm -hmm. and a reciprocal dance and some th somehow something new emerges from that interplay. No, that that makes sense universally. It makes sense. It's it's the way that the the universe works. It's just really hard to break down into physics in in a way that. Like, well, there there are no monopoles in the universe, so every magnetic field it. has two but sides oh, as well. Let's say this: physics can't even help us answer yeah. no matter how well we can measure and track yeah. it. Physics can't give us an answer as to why is there this potentiality? Why mm -hmm. does the universe function this way? It's a very intriguing aspect of this universe that it carries potentiality in this law of emergence and what was that first it's like thing? inherently creative and what was that first cause that caused the first thing to happen to start the whole chain of things that keeps looping back in itself and well yeah we still haven't figured that out we thought no. you know big bang but that big bang's not really turning out to be everything we thought it was um so you know it's the we're in a universe that is nothing but pure potential, and we can't really say where the actualization started in anything. It just, it, you know, we look farthest into into the future, it looks the same as we look the furthest into the past. It looks the same. Yeah. We, yeah. And by looks the same, I mean, like, we can't see what, like, when we think the Big Bang, everything that was in that, you know, whatever, point singularity, mm -hmm. can't see any of that in there. We just think point singularity, everything must be in there. Well, when we think to the heat death of the universe, which would be the opposite of that, where everything's so spread out, we still have no conception of that because that is so much of nothing and so spread out on such a huge scale. It's not spreading out the way they thought it was either. Yeah, no, it's kind of all morphing into itself. The projections that they made are, are beautiful. It's like hairs and pathways that are moving around, things that are pulling things in and other things that are pushing things away. Hmm. Um, I'm just kind of... Well, you know, I, I, like we're looking at a 3D cross-section of a four-dimensional donut. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of what it looks like to me. Universe is trippy. 
So Aristotle considers constraints more important. This is not a circular explanation. The whole distinction is essential to science. It's not just an abstract concept, kinetic versus potential energy, for instance. In Newton's equation, F equals MA, it's not an event. It puts a limit on what's possible in the world. So this actually helped physics a lot. There are actually two types of constraints, as Huarero. I'm so sorry I'm butchering your name. I think her first name was Alice. Alicia. Alicia points out, enabling constraints and selective constraints. This, these make outcomes more likely or less likely, respectively. This underlies one of the most po powerful theories of biology and science, natural selection. Darwin's theory is probably the first example of a dynamical of dynamical systems theory in all of science. Feedback cycle theory, essentially. The feedback cycle in evolution is sexual reproduction. Reproduction. Yep. Early on in life, there's not much evolution because there isn't much scarcity of resources. Scarcity of resources reduces the amount of options for a system. Selection reduces options. Variation increases options. Darwin's idea depends so much on Aristotelian ideas. Selection equals a virtual governor, as Huarero puts it, a device that limits what you can do in a system, in steam engines, etc. Reproduction is then a virtual generator. Combine them in a system so you're systematically regulating a feedback cycle. You have a virtual engine. This is dynamical systems theory. So this is getting so, a little bit complex. It's helpful to watch these episodes if you guys are curious as to wh why this is important. How does this affect the meaning crisis? Yeah, and so we have a situation where we've got... Okay, so uh, go back just a little bit sure. so I can get the words. Uh, yeah, selection is your governor. You mm -hmm. have to... You don't... You don't want to have every potentiality and every option open and happening at the same time because nothing will get done. So yes. through selection, yeah. you say, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're looking for. So you uh, enable constraints. Or, or if you're doing, yeah. Or if you're that doing, actually gives you more options yeah. of what you can do. Or if yeah. you're doing like biologically speaking, you know, the, the jack of all trades very rarely is the... the is the master of none, right? Well, no, that um, that phrase is misphrased a lot but not going to go into that one yet no but the jack of all trades tends not to be the most dynamical of creatures or life forms hmm. um usually we see things go into specializations and then if you over specialize then you get like stuck and then you get screwed because then your potentials are very limited hmm. right so the op opposite end of selection variation and selection, and then there's um, enabling constraints, selective constraints. Yeah, so you, you select, and then you have to, and I think there's, I don't think it's mentioned in here, uh, but iterations mm -hmm. as well. So biologically speaking, you know, it's not just one thing immediately goes into another. It's, it's countless iterations of closer to one potential or another, say, like, mm -hmm. you know, the finch's big beak or small beak. And then, you know, depending on what are the food source. Actually, I think there's like even one that's like a, a blood drinking finch as well because it got so specialized down. Whoa. 
Yeah, and it all started out from, you know, Vampire Finch. the ultimate potential medium-beaked finch that then, you know, had one child that was larger beaked and one child that was smaller beaked. Mm-hmm. And, well, the nut season was really good, so the larger-beaked one ended up having more kids than the smaller-beaked one. And then you ended up with more larger-beaked, but then, you know there's still a population of smaller beaks that then have to figure out, okay, well, I can eat bugs instead of eating that. So mm. then you have, okay, long beak versus short beak. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, I want to say it's convoluted, but it can feel quite convoluted. Like, it's like, well, when you work your way back to, okay, the original medium beaked finch, well, what led up to making that medium beaked finch? Well, it just does the same cycle over and over again. And it, has the same branching spidering thing, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the as below, as above, so below, everything's just constantly fractaling itself. Right. You know, if you, if you zoom out that's far pretty much enough, what, everything's yeah, kind of, that's exactly what everything seems to be doing. It's fractaling everything, everything and everyone are fractals. So it's like, how can you do that with your brain and then focus in, you know, mm. and we'll, we'll talk about this later on when we talk about scaling, you know, scaling up versus scaling down. But I think that's moving through, the fractal in nature of things, you know, if if every Ooh, if, if yeah. yeah features and and the gestalt and yeah. the gestalt are they're tied together and interdependent. Interdependent, so there's mm-hmm. a reflection of each and each. Yin Yang yeah. and 3D, yeah, and Paisley, Paisley all day. <laughs> Paisley, yeah, Paisley was the original fractal art man that people played with. Oh, you know, oh like, yeah, gotcha. yeah, those little teardrop shaped things that just Paisley out. So Darwin was beholden to Aristotle very much for this idea of enabling constraints and potential. Aristotle was interested in our development beyond self-deception. Plato was interested in how we become wise in the first place. Mm -hmm. So Aristotle goes on, how does wisdom, meaning development, affect our character personage and how do we develop virtue <clears throat> over time what does how does that growth actually work to cultivate consciously rather than acting out of character we get these kinds of terms these moral existential ideas so this idea of virtue the virtual engine so virtue and virtual mm-hmm. actually play together here and the virtues i guess would be components within said engine one of them being, like, say, um, your limiter is a virtual component in your virtual engine. Yes. And then you have, you know, say, something that focuses. So what would be the thing that focuses within your virtual engine? And, you know, well, in that case, let's see. What, what would be the practice, the, 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 the virtue that helps focus? You know, perhaps it's temperance, maybe. Perhaps it's something else, you know, but, like, we have words for these virtues, you know, mm-hmm. being um, another one, you know, like being generous yes. is a virtue yes. um, because it allows you to spread out your, well, being generous with people and being generous with yourself. I'm not an altruist, so I don't think we just do things to, to you know, be totally selfless. No, you get something out of it. Once, if you're generous and you spread out, now you have a larger distributed cognitive mm-hmm. network it feels good to and us when we give gifts yeah. and i and so psychologists well, benefits us regardless put yeah. that as though that's like selfish 
is just feeding yeah, the selfish no, side just, of ourselves. But no, no that's actually just, really cool that humans and that's are not what that I, and that's not yeah. what I'm saying at all either. And no, I'm not. It's just I know you're ultimately not. Ultimately beneficial. Yeah, that's just a thought know, that came to my mind there because you hear that sometimes. You know, non-moralistically. You know. No, no, no. It's it's beautiful because we're actually interconnected as a species, and that that we get a positive bi- biological feedback in our system when we give gifts and when we're being, you know, yeah. helpful and sharing and generous. That is uh, a beautiful feature. Yeah. I think that's built into us. That makes us a more sociable, docile species, yeah. more co-creative and all that. Well, it'd be interesting to go through like the moral virtues of different um, different uh, societal systems. You know, like mm-hmm. you have like the whatever the five moral virtues of Western society. But then like, you know, like Eastern traditions have a certain set of virtues that are, you know, they're all very similar yeah, with like often very complimentary, and, and it's not just you know like you know have these virtues to be better, but it's like no, they're virtual components within your mechanical system that helps you find meaning and merge the two worlds. You know, the world as you, the world as it is versus the world that you would believe it is, right? Whether you want to believe it or don't want to believe it, you know, you know the world that isn't and the world that is. Not to break it down that simply, but no, it's yeah. true though. Yeah, it does. It helps us marry ourselves to existence as it is and get into a dance and a flow with it so that it becomes mm-hmm. you know its particulars ups and downs and all the problems and challenges that we find within actually become welcome and part of the game yep. so Ar- aristotle adds something to the Soc- socratic definition of wisdom development how do growth meaning develop what he gets into is the notion of character not your personality but that aspect of you that you can cultivate if only subconsciously or indirectly there is a connection between, and this is why we practice certain things consciously, like meditation, contemplation, so that they can become subconscious habits, basically, in our mind, and we start to cultivate these virtues. They become a part of us. There's a connection between character and virtue, not a coincidence that we have the idea of a virtual engine. It's not an event, but a set of conditions that's been cultivated systematically in a person. The virtual engine of an individual's personal development. So let's ask Socrates a question. We spend a lot of time, or let's ask a Socratic question, sorry. We spend a lot of time on our appearance, on our status. How much time do we, do you spend today on your character? This is where he he Mm -hmm. is encountering people in the, in the market. And he'll ask them questions like that. You know, how much time did, so how much time do you spend today on your hair? And he'll say, oh, 10 minutes. And how much time do you do this and that? How much time do you spend on yourself? Becoming better. Even the commercials will use that. It's like, oh, you know, like in the time it takes you to do whatever, you could have done this and saved yourself. What you know, like that's the, you know, the sophist and the, um, the salience, yeah. the salience, the bullshit, the salience without truth. But it's still effective. Like this, going through the practice of, like, say, like break down your day. Um, you know, how much time do I spend on this, this, and this, and this, but how much time did I, you know, it's like, well, I don't have time for anything yet, but it takes you 20 minutes or 30 minutes to do this practice mm-hmm. that you could do. And it's not like you have to trade for anything else because there's 20 minutes where you're just sitting there, you know, yeah. with your thumb up Doom your butt, scrolling. you know, yeah. yeah, you know, just, that's, uh, <clears throat> but that, that's, and you, that's you the actually question though, because become more effective, you utilize your time yeah. more optimally as well. When you have taken time to meditate every day, for well, instance, you know you you you, you feed yourself, hydrate yourself, mm-hmm. um, yeah, keep wait, yourself sure. warm. Keep you do all these things. And exercise, as well. why not energy. this as well? Yeah. Because that, like you know, enhancing your character 
enhances your experience with the world and it helps everything out else out it does well that's why you know, when we see that's people, a positive feedback cycle yeah right that's why i don't believe in altruism because it all just helps itself it's it's we are life and life wants to help life yeah, we're um, not so disconnected so, from everything else as we yeah. think. Yeah, we're very much inter intertwined, yeah. interconnected with everything and everyone around us. Everything is feeding mm-hmm. back, uh, and we're feeding back on it. And yeah, good things do good things. That's that's the point of doing good things, and you can be a part of the good things if you do good things right. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> don't you want to be a part of good things? Come on, man, it's cool. It's what all the cool kids are doing. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's yeah. what all the humans that are. That's how, that's how you trick kids into survive being cool and helpful. The best know. of us are trying to do. Yeah. Well, you know. Trying to keep this world alive, man. Let me tell you about these like cool kids, Aristotle and Kant, man. Like, yo. <laughs> they were real cool. <laughs> oh, in times of meaninglessness, you start to... I got to do get, something. Get, get, yeah, you start to really be able to recognize where meaning lies it, it shines when you come upon it and these are the answers for our times one of the most trenchant criticisms we can make of someone that is if someone is that they are not living up to their potential part of what makes your life meaningful is that you have cultivated character that allows you to actualize your potential you've created a virtual engine that regulates your development in the way in which you grow up Self-organization has been regulated and shaped into self-improvement. So you can have the experience of akrasia, a deep form of foolishness that comes from lack of character, often mistranslated into a lack of willpower, though recent research is suggesting the whole post-Protestant idea of willpower is defunct and not real anyway. Akrasia is when you know what the right thing to do is, but you don't do it anyway. You may have the right beliefs, but you don't have sufficient character. Unlike, say, knives, people aren't made with a purpose, but rather we are self-making, auto-poetic things. Eric Pearl, in his book, Thinking Being, puts forth a brilliant idea. In living things, the purpose of the thing is its structural, functional organization. It's a self-making thing. Your purpose is to enhance your structural, functional organization. It's to live up to what... So, acrasia is almost like a... You are what you have, like a, your potential. As like a feeling and, and an awareness is almost a... Like, ev- evolutionarily... Yes. When you're not living up driven, to your potential, this is not going to help us survive. Well, the biology so, knows that. and when you say something, yeah. like, when you're forced to say something that isn't true, or like, you know, like, even like animals, like your dog, when you... When you uh, get get your dog to do something that it knows is foolish and it shouldn't do, yeah, you know, like this isn't dog, this isn't what dogs do. Oh yeah, that's not exactly acrasia, but acrasia in humans is like you know, like uh, say, well, and, a dog. When you see a dog feel bad because it got in trouble and you caught it, yeah, and it knew it was doing acrasia. something yeah. bad. It knows. It, yes, yes. Uh, but the kids do this. We do this. Well, and <laughs> you know, if you really want to. Uh, if you really want to control an individual, get them to not have that feeling. Hmm. So, like, um, in the, I forget what the episode name is in Star Trek Next Generation, but Picard, Captain Picard, has been uh, kidnapped by Cardassians, and there's this Cardassian that's just, like, torturing him and interrogating him and has these 
four lights behind him and he's trying to get picard to say that there are five lights but picard you know he's like no there are four lights and then at the very end when he's leaving and you know gets like pulled out you know because like uh he has to go back you know i don't know how you know prisoner exchanges work but a prisoner exchange is happening or something like that and he just yells out there are four lights he had he was a character with strong character he had strong but what virtue. the torturer was trying to do was trying to erase his sense, sense of, of well yeah. erase his sense of ecrasia because ecrasia lets you know that you're oh you're right you're right yeah yeah hide, hide him yeah, like from his better. and and then the next step is once you no longer have that sensation of okay i'm doing something wrong and i feel guilty about it mm-hmm. and i feel a lack of character and i'm real low mm-hmm. now you're at the point where you don't have any willpower willpower yes you don't that's why it's often mistaken for lack of willpower yeah yeah Yeah. but it's actually something that's happening within one's self sense of conscience or maybe not removing the self yeah that sense of i'm known being aware of one's potential yeah and not living up to it yeah and i think we should you know like participate in practices that make this feeling like if making you more sensitive and i don't mean sensitive like you know like oh it bothers me sensitive but sensitive as in you can sense when you're not leading up to your potential like we use mm-hmm. uh, like we use each other for this because you know you have your peer group and your friend group and when you're messing up you know they let you know and yeah uh, or you got the older folks you know that in your life like your grandparents that you know give you what for like what are you doing you ain't got yourself a girlfriend and you're still renting now. What are you, what are you doing? Come on now. You know, like, you know, those are based or societal ends of things. But still, you can have a good mentor. And, you know, all they have to do is just give you that one look when you, hmm. you know, when, yeah. you, you, when you're done messed up. And yeah. It's just like, okay. Um, but I'll have to look more into Croatia because I think it's more than just a sensation. It's like a state of being as well as a sensation. We have a, hmm. a sensation when we're going through it. And yeah, it is. It is a state of being because it's just it's like a deep form of foolishness. Yeah, that comes from lack of character. Well, you notice yeah. when you feel foolish, yeah. you don't feel great about it. So it is a state of being. Yeah, that we can get but locked into. So I guess it's removing the sensation of knowing being foolish is what the mm-hmm. what the yes, interrogator yeah, McDonald's will do to doesn't you want the, you to think about a creation yeah. when you're eating their food. Yeah, they don't want to be th- you to be thinking, oh, this is nasty food. They want you to be thinking... This is bad for me. Or, the, yeah, this is nasty food. Yeah, I'm not living this up to great. taking good care of <laughs> yeah. my body temple here. And well, they we, don't want you thinking that. They want you thinking that it's... Well, you notice we've, yeah, okay. we've publicly, you know, the public and what is most popular now is to be foolish and just like, screw it. You know, you can't tell mm-hmm. me nothing. You know, just be foolish and be foolish and be foolish. They've Yolo removed the, 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 the negative sensation of acrasia and now you're just in it. You're like, well, screw it. I'll be foolish, whatever. And now, mind you, I play the fool a lot, like in the sense of like the jester and, and that kind of thing. I don't mean that end of playing the fool. I mean like literally being foolish, foolish, yeah. and also prideful about being mm-hmm. foolish. That's one thing we've got right now. That I, uh, it just drives me absolutely mad that it's cool to be foolish. No, no, it's 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 cool to be increasingly less foolish in life. I won't say not foolish because we're foolish creatures. Come on, we walk on two legs. We, you know, we got our genitals, our heart, our guts exposed for everybody to attack. It's it's pretty foolish, as far as our design you know. seems foolish. Yeah. but it's actually ideal for us because yeah, it helps yeah. us see further. We can we're higher above the grass. Yes, we're all totally exposed. We've become pretty but good we're at tool using making it, but, animals yeah. that are also 
socially adept so mm-hmm. we can work together in teams to hunt so a few of us with sticks and a few dogs that we've trained can take over the entire planet yeah That's foolish dogs that now then we turned them into like pugs yeah, and, and, yeah, the little ugly rat dogs. We and got stuff. a lot, we got a wide variety of them now. Man. Oh boy, what's actually wild to see the variation amongst dogs now, and that's all human interaction with them and breeding. Yeah, and I saw all of those things were wolves. Saw something that was interesting. I think it's so cats individually <coughs> have more diverse genetic material than dogs, but dogs come in more varieties. Like there's less like there's less change or less. I don't know how to explain it in these terms, but there's less genetic material, but more variety. You said, yeah. So there's there's less variety. In so in dogs, there's less genetic variety, even though there's a bunch of different oh. kinds of different breeds than oh. in cats. Because like a cat, you can have a cat that's solid white, but yeah. a cat, the, the solid white there's cat can have three or four different colored types cats. Of different cats. Yeah, but there's more genetic. Yeah, um, uh, variation just a little, them. little interesting thing like That's that. But like, a cat's been a cat, it's been a cat, it's been a cat. Like, you know, when you see cat, you're like, oh, cat. And you can have one cat that's big, white, and floofy, and then it has a bunch of cats of kittens of a bunch of different colors. So its genes express itself in more var- in more varieties, even though there's only hmm. so many breeds. Like, there's that's not a whole, a whole lot of, bre- like, comparatively between the dogs and cats, there's less yeah. breeds of cat. Yeah. I don't know. I think mushrooms and cats seeded the universe. <laughs> the mushrooms come <laughs> first, yeah, and then the cats, once they I get a sufficiently that. intelligent species to take care of them, then they take over. Well, we got the <laughs> idea of the internet from mycelial networks of mushrooms, and it was literally, the internet was invented by ex-hippies straight out of the 60s, psychedelic revolution, that became computer engineers, and often cases we're still using yeah. in the early days. Um but yeah, that's that's where the idea of the internet was originally formed amongst those types of programs. Well, there's and hackers. that, uh, and then you have what? What else did you say? Cats, and the most popular thing on the internet, yeah, yeah, kittens, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you can buy stuff for your cats on the internet. Just, just, yeah. just saying. Yeah, I mean, pussy cats are more popular than, and they're not even the other second most popular thing on the internet. And they're they're or, not, yeah. <laughs> They're not your cats, as in you own them. They're your cats like your gods. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you do everything for them. You worship The Egyptians them. literally did w- worship yeah. them. Yeah. But so that, you know, like say with the internet and the, the mushrooms thing and this, um, you know, the mushrooms begetting the internet and, the, and through hippies and all that stuff. That's one of those cyclical emergence phenomenons as well. <laughs> Isn't it? You know, it's like now our techniques and our technologies were going back to trying to mimic life and be like, well, life seems to do it the most efficiently. All right. All right. Well, we've kind of already known that because like all the way back to the shamanic days, all the way up through, we've been mimicking life in one, mm. weird, you know, through shamanism, yeah. you literally mimic life. But then also through these thinking methods that we're going through, we're now literally coming back to life. Really, you know, to <laughs> figure things. Well, it's out. crazy because these phases, these these shifts in human cognition and social development, the development of the psychotechnologies like language and meditation, and the ways that we've learned to develop our wisdom capacities, our collective sense making capacities, all of these things feeding in upon themselves. I have no idea where I was going with that now, but uh, it was really cool. <laughs> But, um, well, like, 
say life life builds upon life builds upon life this constant emergent aspect of reality is i don't know where i was going with that it's profound i don't know yeah i think that was the uh, end of it, well I, I i can i can probably i don't know focus it down into with yet again the mushrooms but the the mycelium is a distribu- distributed not maybe Dis- necessarily yeah. cognitive network because we can't measure it but it's a distributed network of uh chemical and information sharing well literally information making Mm -hmm. chemicals information sharing it nutrient yeah Yeah. nutrients um conditions like if you go like if you go morel hunting cut them off from the ground don't rip them out because when you do it sends the information to all the rest of the system not to produce any morels in that area Mm -hmm. so oh yeah oh there's it gets so deep that there's species of mushrooms and trees that have symbiotic relationships in old forests such that when you step at a on a certain place and the the mycelial network is right underneath the ground throughout the entire forest so this mushroom roots are everywhere when you step and it feels life animate animal life Mm -hmm. moving through it it will send signals well not only will it reach up to grab the loose loosened up nutrients in the soil and earth and things from something moving atop it but it will also forewarn the trees that it's related to that there is life that might be coming for its fruit and then the fruit and then the tree can put off a certain pollen mm-hmm. that can keep away the animals that like to try and eat it and so or on and so encourage forth. them to come in um so then you have so you got That's the mycelia so cool. network that branches out and you can take your hand and put it over it and see a similarity just like you can with the tree and then just like mm-hmm. you can with uh, the way, you know, if you look at our cities and how everything branches Arteries off and, and veins. comes. Yeah, so it's like rivers and rivulets. We're not separated from life, so we might as well use its processes to enhance our internal life processes. Why not apply them to your character? Truly. You know. Yeah, I love that. Why not? Watch it, you know. Watch. Yeah. And it's a good excuse to just sit out in nature and right. postulate and think and ponder. Um opposed to seeing hmm. seeing life as the other way around it's like uh, seeing it through our thoughts but seeing it as it actually is in the moment well, too like just so to like be with it pre this idea of Let the tree tree naturally it was you know a hits b b moves mm-hmm. over hits c c moves over and that's like looking at the world from the opposite end where it's like well how do we interact with the world that's how the universe is is how we interact with it where it's the other way looking at it is is life is how the universe interacts with us or the other way around it's hard to put it because it's like the interaction is together Mm -hmm. (coughs) but instead of like well you know the the world is a thing to be used it's no well no i'm something within the world as well um Yes, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not yeah, quite no, explaining no, you mean it right because we do have a sense of separation from it, and it's actually an interplay. It's well, and how we, that we're a part of that we, yeah, we so get to dance within, uh, being within the reaction opposed to being outside uh, and looking yes, into yes, the yes, reaction. Yes. The previous way of looking at it is you're outside of it, watching the reactions of things. This happen, is what opposed Einstein to being was talking about when he yeah. said that it's, it's an optical delusion of consciousness. Yeah. Reality is an optical delusion of consciousness. Yeah, man, that's a hard one. Our sense of reality. Words, it's, uh, words. It's beautiful the way he said it. But yeah, there's a shifting uh, on this episode. There's a shifting of, uh, I, I would say, another shifting of consciousness. You know, because before it was like we're outside the system looking looking at the system, and now it's realizing, well, we have to 
be the system, be inside the system. We're actually inside the system, looking outside this the thing system, is interactive. and seeing the re- reflections it. of it. Yeah, in we're us. in it, and it's active, and yeah. it's feeding back with us. We're feeding back on it. Yeah. So here at the end of this episode, what makes humans distinct, according to Aristotle, is our capacity to avoid self-deception, develop character, cultivate wisdom, and enhance the structure of our psyche and our contact with reality. Your purpose is to become as fully human in this sense as possible. Love it. Yeah, that's, uh, well, what is it to be human? Um, no. What is it to be human? I, I, that's something to ponder on. Well, the, that's a good the suggestion. Human, the human works, and when we say to be humane, so like let's look at other you know things we use to describe being human. Like we, the word humane, well, is to be you know to have a set of virtues. To be mostly humane is like you know not doing harm or doing the least amount, not causing pain, helping things grow. A humanitarian mm-hmm. effort. To be human is to have a set of virtues to just make the human better at being human at humaning the human yes. being better at humaning yes. well is what is humaning well it's becoming better at humaning you see you see why we don't like these circular definitions but that's that's life life is trying to get better at being life it's, it's, the, it's something it's that to get isn't better at being done, life. that isn't it, since we're in the midst of the evolution it's something yeah. that's not done yeah. being, it's a story that's not being finished being told so you can't say what what it is that it's becoming mm-hmm <laughs> yeah, yep. it's potential. Yeah, the human is potential, potentiating humanness. <laughs> potential, potential human sounds like a good uh, band name potential or something. Human. Potential human. <laughs> so on part eight, we get into the Buddha and mindfulness. Mm. This one kicks off with another quote from John Verveke. When it comes to mindfulness, we need to be aware of the distinction between the language of training and the language of explaining. Ah, yes. Mm. The difference between the great sage, like a truly great teacher and just a good teacher. The teacher that inspires between the teacher that tells. Well, and then also... So the Buddha and mindfulness. The the knowing, um, knowing in a way of being able to explain it or being able to make it as well. Mm-hmm. Is, is and be able to actualize it as well. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> I, I think it's in this episode, maybe. Um, but you know, the person who makes the chair really knows the chair more than even the person who mm-hmm. can thoroughly explain the chair, because he has conformed him. The the one who makes the chair has conformed themselves to the chair has that become the, the form. That was probably the last one. That was the one we just did. Yeah, yeah which is a good point. So, yeah, but you know, like. That is a, that is a that yeah. was a helpful angle yeah. we didn't get into in our notes. Yeah. Um, but thank yeah. you again to Mark Mulvey for your excellent note taking capacities, helping us along here, and uh, you know we're running through a little bit with ours as well. And go, go on, what were you go ahead, going ahead there with the with the chair example? Someone uh, that can yeah. When, that when, when it came to the difference between ex- the mode of explaining and the mode of teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, the teaching would be more of the end of the person who has made the chair, who has conformed themselves to the chair to make this chair, so really truly knows the chair. Yes. So when you're teaching somebody, you are essentially bringing them into this, making, you know, them making themselves around the thing. 
mm-hmm. you know, the, the grasping, the conforming, conforming to, to yeah. Uh, whereas explaining is just like, well, here's the feature list and here's right. the parts, which is, you know, explaining things is, is useful, but you're acting it out too. Like yeah. the shaman acts out the dance, the coach acts out the move in the mm-hmm. game. So we get into Siddhartha, Siddhartha Gautama, Buddha. Before he was Buddha, he was prince. When Siddhartha left the palace, and here's an old story from uh, Buddhism. When Siddhartha left the palace and encountered a sick person and then an old person following the funeral procession, he felt completely distressed and troubled. We covered this in Mm -hmm. a previous episode as well. Why did he feel so troubled? His entire having mode had been completely undermined. And when he returned to the palace to rejoin the world, he met a medicant, a renouncer of the having mode, essentially, who was at complete peace, appeared completely at peace. And this contrast between Siddhartha's distress and the peace of this man was his introduction to the being mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, and we discussed the idea of the, the palace being the having mode that we confuse with the being mode that mm-hmm. we really need. So... You have all the food you could possibly have in the palace. You have all the comforts you could have, all the women that you could have, all the safety you could have, all the everything that you could have, but there is no growth. The being mode is growth. There's nothing well, to do that. Yes, you yeah. can have all the sex you want, but do you have but a partner no to have to your it. children, to yeah. make a family, to, well, no, there isn't. that. So it, it brings us into modal confusion. Yeah, there's no sense of gaining, accomplishing, mm-hmm. earning. Yeah, modal confusion. Modal for sure. confusion, and that's that's where Siddhartha was like, and disillusioned. He, yeah, and he he dude like he everything was great in his having world. Everything could be had, and he knew nothing. So when he saw somebody who was you know sick, it was just like, well, w- what is that? Like that's mm-hmm. awful. Like that like never seen nothing like that. And then the person you know walking with him is just like, well, that's sick. And then sees oh oh my god. Are they sick too? No, they're just old. Old? What's what old? old? What? what yeah. That looks awful. He's that looks never horrible. Seen, he's been hidden from all this because yeah. he was given the option. Or uh, his father was actually mm-hmm. uh, asked whether he wanted his son to be a wise king or a wise religious man mm-hmm. or a wise spiritual teacher, basically. And of course, he wanted him to be a wise king. And then Oracle had told them, "Oh, actually, he's going to be." Yeah. yeah, and he didn't like that idea. Yeah. So he did everything he could to keep Siddhartha from experiencing anything that would disillusion him. Yeah, and just give him everything that he could possibly have and feel just the best. And so, of course, he would naturally go into his role of king, and this would never happen. But, but Buddha was disillusioned. He but, saw well, this. when you go out there, and then eventually he saw death. Yeah, he and saw like, death. And why am in the I, funeral procession? And why yes. wasn't I told about these things? And now I don't trust this. So going back to a place and it not feeling like the same place that you left either. Yeah, right. And it's not just like you know, like literally the palace, but like going back to the 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 mode of having. You realize he realized like it's not right. I feel maybe I've been lied to, or I feel mm-hmm. it just wasn't true, and it wasn't right. And yeah. then when he came back out and met the medicant, oh well, then there's another way. Of there's another way. Being this guy's that, that seems peace. like it's not lying yeah. to me. And what is that opposed yeah. to, you know, the palace, if you will? Yes. Um, 
and we all have our own palaces for us ourselves we we have our creature comforts and the things that we do even though we should be doing other things and uh, you know so got disillusionment has a double sense buddha experienced both of these we use it as a description of someone who's in a negative state moving towards despair sad mm-hmm. etc but also the word also describes a loss of illusion and this is what siddhartha experienced so he decides to leave the palace even though he had a wife and child, so they're just trying to make this as big a deal mm-hmm. as they possibly can, that he's willing to leave everything to find out the truth and to rediscover the being mode. This is how important the being mode is. You can't even functionally live in a family unless you have your being mode, unless you're really tuned into your being mode. Is basically mm-hmm. what the this these old myths kind of try and teach us about living as humans. So it almost may have seemed like, you know, like, Maybe it wasn't such a bad thing that he left his wife and his kid because he Might wasn't even in he, well, being, he wasn't even in a being mode relationship right. with his he was in a family with his own family. Yeah. Yes, he had a wife. He yeah. had a kid, opposed right. to being in a family with yeah. his wife and kid. Oh, what a mistake you know? his father had made! Because his yeah. father, if he had any kind of virtuousness to him, any any goodness to him, he would have well, realized he, he did just misguided. It. Yeah, he was just misguided. So and he, he would know, have been destroying it in his son if his and son actually, had remained. If he didn't do that, his son wouldn't have gone through the disillusionment so powerfully. So, so powerfully maybe, too. You know, so it gave him the contrast yeah. of experience to become somebody that became known as the Buddha, yeah. the awakened one. Yeah. So he leaves the palace, but this myth is saying that the moral life rests on something deeper. Yes. Deeper than any moral failing Siddhartha may have been as a husband or father. Morality depends upon your life being meaningful. It's ultimately about being plugged into the cultivation of wisdom so that you can grow and become better over time and improve. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what you want in relationships, not just to be morally correct. The first thing Siddhartha tries is to pursue a life of asceticism, of self-denial, which makes sense at first. If the, if the palace was all about self-indulgence, then maybe the solution lies in the opposite. Oh, so he starves himself to the point yeah. that you can see his ribs yep. coming out and his spine through his stomach. Which, you know, um, as they'll get on further, is still yeah, a, a, a still a having mode experience because you're still having yourself. He's still defining it. In, you in, know. He's trying, yeah, he's basically strengthening the definition by trying to deny it. What you resist persists. Mm-hmm. And so by trying to annihilate the self is still thinking about having a self. Yeah. So you're just strengthening the idea of yep. the self. He's still in the having mode and understand the problem from that mode. It's merely the negation of self-indulgence, not its transcendence. Yeah. The middle path is to transcend the having mode by rejecting self-indulgence and its negation, self-denial. That's the middle path. The being mode is about being connected in the right way. So now we have the word sati, Japanese word. It means to remember, to remind, to be reminded of, especially in the sense of a lost mode of being, mm-hmm. not a fact or an event, remembering what it's like to do something, like going back to a place you haven't been in a while and you start to recover and remember an identity you used yeah. to have there. To be. Yeah, how you used to f- be there. Yeah, to be a remembered to mm-hmm. when you were a member Re- of it member, and then you're remembering. Of, yeah. You're remembering yeah. your role, yeah. your yeah. dharma of that place. That kind of remembering. Yeah, so we translate sati into our word mindfulness. Mm-hmm. That's that kind of remembering, being mindful. A way to understand how this feels is when you wake up. When you wake up from sleeping, you recover your identity. You remember. You re-belong mm-hmm. to this world. You become a member again. You belong back to yourself. Yeah. Siddhartha is looking for a set of psychotechnologies that will let him remember or recover the being mode. 
he's going to awaken, which is what his eventual name, Buddha, means, the awakened one. And the mindfulness revolution that we're seeing sweep across the planet today here in the West, uh, ancient Eastern mysticism and ancient Western mysticism, all the way down to Stoicism and Platonism to Zen Buddhism and Advaita Vedanta and all these others, um, non-dualistic paths uh, are gaining interest so we call this the mindfulness revolution. It's a response to the meaning crisis happening, happening in the world today. The meaning crisis being this breakdown of meaning in our world, this breakdown of cohesion, the social, um, the social breakdown that we see occurring yeah, around and, us. Uh, well, and the, the massive mo- modal us, yeah. confusion that we're experiencing, and not just between having mode and being mode, but also, like say, like the explaining versus teaching mode and the... Mm. Um, yeah. The helping mode versus the harming mode. Because um, sometimes you got to do a little harm to help. Like you know, if you got something growing inside of you that shouldn't be growing inside of you, I got to cut you open to cut it out. Or we're confusing. We're just trying to help. If just one life, if it could just you know, yeah, we're the helping and the controlling mode. We'll put it that way. <laughs> There's yeah. the helping something grow and then the controlling it. Mm. You know, um, you know, bonsai trees are really cool and everything, but that's some harsh constraints they put right. on those trees to make them do that. But a bonsai is not good for a garden to feed your family, now is it? Now, the gardening metaphor in this case would be the helping mode. You know, oh, I, I, I want plants to feed off of, to nourish me, to help, to grow, to be, opposed to... Well, I got this really beautiful bonsai that's 500 years old that looks really... And I'm not, I'm not dissing bonsai. I have friends who actually do bonsai, and it's a wonderful work of art, but it's not a garden that nourishes your family. It is something else. Right. Um, yeah. And, well, you know, not to you know make anybody too angry, but when it comes down to identity, modes of identity, we are very confused in that end, too. You know, it's like, because, like, what you identify as puts you in a mode. If I'm a carpenter and that's my identity, I'm in the mode of building things out of wood and doing that. But when we can't even, you know, how to put it, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put it politely without, like, hurting anybody's feeling, because, like, I do care. But, you know, the, every identity serves a function within a societal mechanism and when we're not i guess correctly within the identity because like you don't just you don't define your identity identity is something that others define with you and then you define through what you do and what the universe does with you i identify as human there's been millions and billions of things that have led up to me to be human as this human on planet earth certain constraints Mm -hmm. but when you can't figure out what you're supposed to be because not everybody's supposed to be a firefighter not everybody's supposed to be a warrior not everybody's supposed to be some scholar not everybody's supposed to you know be a super tough guy or super wimpy girl or or any of these things we're all different and we have to find these modes of being for ourselves and we're getting very confused because they're like well you can have any mode of being that you want anything that you can do you can have it and it's like well that's no that's even more freaking confusing there's too many options for everything we don't know what we are anymore yeah. We're confusing our modes, <laughs> you know, and well, I can have, you know, I, I can have any pronoun We're that I'm very attached to our identities well, and, and, and to the expression of our characteristics. We're, we're so attached well, the to the word identify. 
like how how are we identifying things and what are we identifying well we're not identifying anything we're getting more moti- more confused with we're getting more attached to ideas and the display of ideas yeah, of ourselves rather than the idea actually is right you know who, like who one is at heart is what's most important and i can't judge somebody from some superficial characteristics some superficial distinction be it skin color, eye color, hair color, how they dress, well, how they sound, what language they speak, now, can it? what religion or yeah. what? Not, not religion they, they believe in. Well, the truest identity, I guess. I can't, yeah, none of those things are going to tell me very much about the person until I get, because there's so many different versions of each one of those, yeah. even within that. Well, that, so I, I got to get to know who they are at heart. Instead of looking at the feature list of things, you know, like I do this, I live how here, I do this. It's, well, what's the structure? Yes. yes. The structural, functional organization, the actual. What is their actual nature? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think who that are the, the, ha- the having mode of being does not concern itself with that. Yeah. I don't care how much how or, you know, what somebody appears as is who they are or at what, art. Or what they have. You could have the nice car. Right. The nice yeah. house. But you how are have they? have the accolades. The yeah. How are they being in the world? Yeah, who how, are know? they? How are they? So, yeah, it's modal, commu- uh, modal, modal confusion, confusion between the ha- having and the being mode now, and we've just fractured it into a million and a half different things. Like, you know, in the 80s and 90s, it was all about, like, got to be the big wig and get the car and have the car phone and, you know, do all this stuff and have all this stuff, and that's your identity because you're this guy, and now it's it's turned into a soup of everything it could possibly ever want to try to ever be. <laughs> yeah. Which is just too much, you know, like we don't like, uh, what do they call it? Uh, when you have access to too much, too much information and too many options. Sensory like, over- overload, really. Um, it, it happens with kids too. Like if you, you know, tell a kid like, you know, like go dress yourself and they have a full oh, closet with mean, stuff though. and they it's can't, like, they can't figure it out. But if you give them like three shirts, three uh, pants and some called? socks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's the same problem you have when you're looking at the Netflix queue and you're like, what do I watch? Yeah. There's yeah, an it, overload of information. Yeah. There's too much to choose from. That you get into, like, oh, what's that term? It's a good term. Yeah, now it's just watching something, and people were talking about it, too. I feel horrible. Uh, attention spans. Or not attention spans, but uh, memory. Mm, yeah, memory for sure, man. I, I'm good with the, the really short-term memory and the really long-term memory. It'll come back memory, to me in like five minutes, too. Yeah. It'll come back. It's, um, uh, it starts with a D. It's one word, and then starts with a D. Forget it. We'll get on to it. But yeah, so Siddhartha's fatigue, choice fatigue, or choice yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, there but, it is. Um, it's almost there. Siddhartha's thing in the mindful, the mindfulness, choice exhaustion is <laughs> an aspect of it at least. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> mindfulness kind of arms and armors you against. Well, no, I, I, I want to say confusion. Yeah, it's, worse, it's a, by, yeah by not eliminating one mode. In, in for the other but being mindful of both at the same time because you do have having needs that you need to have like you need to have a drink of water every so often or else you get dehydrated you have to have food you mm-hmm. have to be between certain temperatures yeah. it's like mindfulness um, helps us be open enough to mm-hmm. continually take a new for new information but also willing to prioritize in our salience landscape mm-hmm. by by the practice of wisdom enforcing psychotechnologies our capacity mm-hmm. to recognize yes. what is important information in our environment readily and accurately at a faster and faster rate basically yeah. so we can recognize what is important to focus our yeah. attention on yeah so we can be more mindful so it's it's very much a yin and yang activity it very much is a middle way of life you're not turned to inward you're not turned to outward you're yeah. 
one foot in both worlds essentially being a whole yeah, human and, being and you know we can it's it's something we can practice and you have mm-hmm. to practice to yes. develop it that's two why com- we have mindfulness yes. practices mm-hmm. uh whether they're you know like on the boot you know the, the buddhist end or well i guess kung fu has buddhist potential too but the reason why they do all that crazy stuff isn't just to you know well, that's why be whatever yeah, but it's actually to attune in india they developed a whole uh basically cosmology of practices mm-hmm. from the inward the body oriented the physical oriented the mental oriented the emotionally oriented m- movement oriented all mm-hmm. of them together um and we'll add and, uh coming up in those further and, and we episodes we did the same thing we'll here in the west and in, in our own ways too so it happened all over the world in different places you can see that in ancient greece the philosophers were also wrestling and <laughs> you know they were very physical mm-hmm. um you know they're physically healthy but they're also very mentally healthy and the science and the mysticism were intertwined as well so it was a very cohesive world view that they inhabited and we're losing the sense of meaning so we're trying to figure out how do we rebuild that sense of meaning that is rational that is useful that helps us live better together as a species with our planet and with one another and we're going to need mindfulness to be able to do that yeah and that's why it's it's naturally this the bio the biology of the species started to tune itself into these things that would help it become a more cohesive symbiotic species together mm-hmm. it's tuned into the mindfulness practices that we've developed and that just started to happen it became a movement a revolution of interest and we're finally at the point again where we need to over the last 50 60 years now create new mindfulness practices that are informed by the previous iterations mm-hmm. that have been done before us yes know? yeah and not to just be informed by like the mistakes yeah. that he's made and where they were right because they were trying to turn to to unconditional well, love and even you know like but it, they became it, so it, wide open and also informed by like you know say like these wisdom practices that are how many you know centuries thousands of, thousands years, of old, years old some yeah you know um but also then how do we make new ones with the in you know with what we're learning by bringing them all together together in yeah, the form, that's yeah. informed by everything that's come before you're right because we can't just you know throw out the old and be like now we're going to come up with this new thing that's how we got socialism and all of its horrible ways that killed you know that's how you get yeah, tens hundreds of millions that's of how people. you get corruption in any system no well, it's yeah. like oh we can do it better we can do the theology as well as the economics as right, well as the governance we, we better have more confusion. Yeah. we also lose our senses of morality yeah so we're not living up to our character and when you're not living up to a virtue you're not trying to be virtuous in this world. Yeah, you can make all kinds of excuses to just look out for oneself and cheat and lie and steal. And or, you know, uh, look out for just being lazy. Or avoid. You know, yeah. it's like, I don't want to do this. Hide, deny. I'd, I'd rather not give up. do the hard yeah. work, but I want enough of the rewards to feel yeah. good. Um, but, yeah, actually. I'm trying to satiate that, satiate that misery with all kinds of artificial fillers. Yeah, well, we learned, food you know, the, television. the last 120 years or so, we saw the greatest atrocities that man has probably ever seen. And we saw it because we tried to create something completely new. And it was informed, like, and I'm talking like, you know, Marxism and everything that's led up to it. And then after that, but it was informed by things of the past, but perversions of these techniques and these uh, psychotechnologies, and then to turn it into something new as instead of trying to come to grasp with the world as it actually is, it's no trying to grasp the world trying and pull it down it into what it. you want it yeah, to be. It never works. No, it, it, it killed hundreds of millions of people. Like, come on now. Like, so let's not 
repeat that mistake. Let's go encourage everybody to go back and, you know, read the old greats for themselves. Don't read the old greats through some uh, mediocre now great that is telling you what it actually means, man. And, you know, so uh, that that would be the marks in this case, the, the mediocre. Yes. And Marx was mediocre. I'm sorry. Um, he just had a lot of help from his friend. Um, but no, like these like, you know, Marx, Marx read these people, the same people that were aware of, he, he was aware of. He just turned it. Oh, sure. Oh, he was, and he then was, the he pe- understood and then people, psycholo- psychological manipulation. Yeah, and then people, you know. He understood what er- Edward Bernays mm-hmm. had discovered and was utilizing yes, a Freud's and, psych- psychological yeah, insights. And, and so, it, you know. So he, how, do you, he, how do you control the masses? Yeah, and it well, was, but had, how also do you create. Well, people believed in it, too. I yeah, mean, well, he yeah. believed in it on, to some degree to him, uh, within him. You know, all these people that we think of as evil. But oftentimes weren't actually maniacally evil so how many malevolent peop- how many people but it's amazing how evil every individual human being can actually be when they believe that they're doing what is ultimately right what how much evil they can let go in the face of that higher so how many ideal. marxists do you know that have actually read marx and i know well, a lot it's, of people it's, it's that call themselves like you, marxists we were talking about this earlier supported like when when you see people go fundamentalist with their with their religions you see the same thing happen when people are trying well, to find a way to help we can actually Humanity, do this. We live can, together in a better way. They get so super OCD obsessed with it that they're willing to just hammer in on this obsessive idea that you can force control people. Yeah. And it's not, it's, it really is. And we've had this debate here in the States, too, of education versus propaganda. What is more useful? I think the Greeks recognized, and we got yeah. all of this wisdom and how we think to, to this day to thank the Greeks for, uh, because they had a freedom to be able to have those conversations well, together. I, I, and so, so that's something we should never do away with. The, the point I'm, I'm getting at, at least with the like, not just like, so when I brought up how many Marxists do you know that have actually read Marx? I know a lot of Marxists that haven't, but they listen to other people that say they have. So you don't actually get the true, like, what is that person talking about? It's the same thing with the old greats. That's why I encourage people, go read it yourself. Right. Go participate in it yourself instead of listening to somebody else summarize it or whatever. Because right. even if they have the best intent, they're still going to get some of it in a way that probably is not fully correct. Or right. uh, Well, this is why the Buddha you know, told so us, don't believe anything no, just yeah. because it's popular and many people believe look. it. Don't believe anything just because authorities tell you it is true. Yeah. Don't believe anything even though your teachers and your parents tell you it is so. Only believe it and live up to it once you have looked into it for yourself deeply. And found it yeah. to be true and good for one and all. Yeah, we'd have a lot. This, this means if it's going to be true and good for one and all, you're going to have to challenge the idea as well. You're going to have to look at the opposing viewpoints. Yeah. And you're going to have to try and disprove the thing that you want to believe in. Yeah. You're going to have to try and stand, yeah. stand it up to that test so that you can better understand it. You can better understand how to defend it if it is ultimately going to be true and good for one and all. Or you can understand that you need to get rid of it if it's not actually going to be good for one and all. And we've got to be yeah. willing to give up these things and not be so attached to our ideas because if we pers- mm-hmm. pers- personify per- or personalize ourselves with our ideas, we take personally somebody attacking our ideas, mm-hmm. we're never going to be able to further inform and upgrade our ideas together. And so that we're not, we're, we got to learn how to be symbiotic w- with one another. Where yeah. We have to be able to re-inform ourselves constantly. So it doesn't matter um, if you're right. It matters what is right. Well, this yeah. is the way that I think we should orient ourselves. Yeah, and, it works and, much better. Then you can be wrong all day and you don't mind because yeah. you're always trying to find out what's true and good for one and all. You don't care about being right. You're not identified with being right. Yeah, and, and you got, 
it's a selfish way of looking at the world. It's a really self-protective, self-defensive, afraid well, and orientation. And we're meant to be out here dancing. Yeah, and how are you going to get in on the conversation also if you don't go look look for the conversation yourself? So in the case of, you know, we're talking about Aristotle, Plato, all these different people, you actually got to go look to get in on the conversation to, to either be able to argue for or against. You have to get in on the conversation. Yeah. Whereas too many times, you know, like... Yeah, you I, get to I, be a part of it. You I get, get to inform it. I guess I'm of the generation of... You know, on TV, you'd have like, you know, like PBS and Nova and the Discovery Channel. And they played documentaries and then you feel really well informed from the documentary. But it was actually nothing. It was nothing. But it, it's accepted as, well, I saw this in a documentary, you know. It's like, OK, well, great. But so two lines out of a text this this big. And now, you know, you're not in on the conversation. You're only in enough to say the things that the sophists, if you will, want you to say. Sure. No, you know. depending on the documentary, we'll give them some of them. Credit. Yeah. Well, no, sure there are, no d- d- don't get me wrong. But like documentary, good, good documentaries open your mind. So you go, we, Oh, yeah, I want to look though. into yeah, that. Of course. And then here's places. Yeah. I Don't can believe look. anything. Believe nothing off the bat. Just be willing just to question everything. Get it, yeah. Get Challenge in on your that own conversation. That's all. Yeah. Just That's get, what, get we got to constantly it. be able to tune ourselves into what is going to be true and good for one and all together. And that's going to take a little bit of willingness to be a little bit open and the willingness to be wrong too and be, to be wrong and to be and made made the fool because we were yes. foolish about something as well yes which it's, is it's traumatic okay. and as long as we're growing <laughs> that's all that matters yeah when it comes to mindfulness we need to be aware of the distinction between the language of training and the language of explaining mm-hmm. for example the method of locations similar to the idea of mind palace made popular in the sherlock series helps people remember things and a powerful is a powerful mnemonic device for doing so this makes powerful language of training it trains your memory well, but don't make the mistake of thinking this is actually how memory is organized. Mm-hmm. The inner workings of actual memory have nothing to do with the rooms or proximity of descriptions in our, uh, how our brain functions. This spatial metaphor for memory is almost completely wrong. Yeah, and that's to explain that a little better. The, the, the idea of memory that like the way your memory works is there's like this, this castle and it, in this castle, it'd be like, okay, well, you know, John Vavakey's awakening from the meaning crisis, one through ten, is in this little room, which then, okay, well, I guess Plato and Aristotle and everything need to be near that because they're near that, which can be useful, like, to put information in places and that, but that's not how you're, and then, oh, and then it's retrieved by a little homunculus Mm -hmm. that goes and gets the information and that's not actually how that's the brain not works, how your, but that's how we brain picture works. memory working. And that's a very powerful because mnemonic in, tool. Well, and the reason why that doesn't work is because, well... But why you, is this coming you, up is interesting. You, you know too. what you don't know immediately. Yes, yes. But you, it's so it's not a little guy going, oh, no, there's none of that information in here. No, you know it's yeah. not there. And so why is that? Yeah. Why is that? Yeah. So word phrase is commonly used to describe mindfulness, while good tools for training, not helpful in actually understanding how it works at least not by themselves being present non-judging insight reduced reactivity this is just the feature list we're missing the idos the structural functional organization states and traits being present and non-judging are things i can do i can start and stop them these states while insight and reduced reactivity are not things you're doing they're actually results they're traits they're results of the states once you organize them this way, you can begin to asking how the states can cause the traits. You can also understand how much of the states are parts of one another, or whether they're part of a larger whole, etc. 
Same with the traits. Very useful. Siddhartha talks not just about concentration, but right concentration, which immediately suggests that there is a wrong concentration. So mindfulness isn't just about concentrating, but getting the right kind of concentrate uh, concentration. Same with ideas of paying attention. Mm. It has to be the right kind of attention. Yeah, and focused the, in a particular way. And the story of the musicians floating down the river. You know, the master mm-hmm. musician teaching, yes. and you know, it's not like, well, not too, not too tight. And not too, and tight, not too not loose. Too you yes, know, it's, not it's too that, light, not that too tuned loose. perfectly where it needs to be mm-hmm. um, in the right kind. So yes. in this case, the right kind of attention, the right quality yes. of note. And then your body can sing. Your life yeah. can sing. Ellet Langer talks about soft vigilance. I love this term, soft vigilance. Constantly trying to renew your interest in something. This is what we're doing in meditation. When we're returning our attention back to the present moment, we notice that our mind gets lost in thoughts. We return back to the present moment with soft vigilance. That's the orientation that we take. And this is a letting go of control in meditation. The etymology of the word interest is actually rooted in the idea of to be in something. Interested I'm interested in something is to be embodied, embodied in it almost, constantly exploring and opening it up. Attention is not like a spotlight then. The metaphor makes mm-hmm. sense because a spotlight makes things brighter and therefore more salient, easier to see, but it doesn't get at the constant optimization process that underlies attention and how it can be connected to insight. Attention isn't something you directly do, for example. If someone told you to walk, you would walk, and if they told you you to stop walking, you would stop walking. But if they said practice, you'd naturally respond with practice what? To practice chess is to optimize how you play chess. You pay attention by optimizing other things you're doing, like seeing, hearing, so on and so forth. Yeah, and so the spotlight method of thought, so like a a good way to explain how that is wrong is like, well, Right now, you could be in the car listening to us. You'd be paying attention to us, but if it was a spotlight, you'd be wrecking your car right now. So you're able to do multiple things. So you have a primary yes. attention spot, secondary, and tertiary. That's interesting. And, and that's the intention, the idea yeah. of it feels spacious when you put it from that angle. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, and yeah. so we will be coming into um, you know the the scaling down versus scaling up from you know transparency to opacity and opacity mm-hmm. to transparency. those terms are dependent on moving past the idea of spotlight attention because it's not just you're looking at something you're looking at something through something through something through something through something through something and you're it's either getting clearer or you're seeing less and less and less and you're focusing only onto one thing so meditation is going from seeing everything and then going all the way back into your mind and only being aware of your mind and then aware of the pieces of your mind and then only it's then like microscope yes. versus telescope. Yeah, you know. So yeah, going in, it going starts out. to get really, really, really fun it's and so interesting. Cool. But that's from that, this that, point that, out. And then yeah. that, that plays into that spatial metaphor, that where it's like where attention is something that can float anywhere in space that we need it to. Mm-hmm. It can be our hearing, it can be our sense of smell, our attention, to our sense right. of beingness itself, and all of these things. Yeah. But we can also go deep into back before the layers of our perception, the layers of our personality, mm-hmm. the layers of our experiences. We can keep going back, 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 mm-hmm. back, back to the thing that sees all of that, yeah. to the thing that our experiences appear yeah. to, 
the thing within ourselves that our emotions appear to. Yeah. There is an awareness that, that is there. So being able to hone one's attention, very, very useful, helps yeah. us become. And just by breaking outside of the idea mindful. of it being a spotlight is profound because like for the most part, we think of our attention as a spotlight. Pay attention to this. Yeah, but focus in on the attention that is not a spotlight. It's almost like, you know, but it is. It's more of an array of focusing of, of yeah, yeah. It's it's an it's it's an array of perception, and mm-hmm. then how much focus do you put in any one particular point within it? Yes. Whether it's like you could focus on all of it, and then you'd have you know like an infinite field of view, mm-hmm. or you could only focus on just the small point. You know, at the you know the say in the middle of your consciousness so you you know you could look in with it you could look out with it you can look side to side with it you can look inward with it which is inward and outward (laughs) uh you know so it it makes attention in my like the way the way i feel about it this this concept and breaking the concept of the point attention and make in thinking of it as this mobile moving broad thing it, it it makes it much more much muchness it has yes. much more muchness to it you know it's it's far more useful and versatile than just a spotlight really is you yeah. know attention is a useful thing it's a it's a it's a thing um and you can attend to it or you cannot you know you can practice worldview attunement we can mm. practice our worldview att- mm. attunement when you get to that yeah, tuning, sense of disconnect, tuning the world, when the soul's out of it. alignment, but we have the possibility for co-creation together. Yep. Yeah, I think it's a uh, good time for a quick break. Yep. Yeah, I was about to say, I drank my bottle of water, got to get another one and uh, return the bottle of water. Right on. You, well, you know, I'm looking at my notes now. I wish I'd looked down at these more during this because there's a lot of good stuff here. That uh, we got to get through Mark five can't episodes. Cover everything. <laughs> but yeah, we got to yeah. get through these last two well, episodes. I, and if you guys thought that this was even remotely interesting, to check, check out episode seven of Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. And uh, you can also, the, the episode titled Buddha and Mindfulness. Mm. You can also check out our coverage of that on previous episode of Actual Eye. I'm sorry, that was episode eight, the Buddha and Mindfulness. Oh, we're already there? Wow, we're doing good. Yeah, so we got All nine right. and ten left. All right, and then yeah. we're gonna be uh, done with the flex reflections on the first ten episodes, and we're gonna we're gonna get on to episode eleven. We're gonna start getting deep. Cool, because these were fun, but I was really looking to getting back to this uh, the lecture series. Yeah, and yeah, man, I feel you. So the, I know, me too. I know. It's like the epi- it's like, oh, this is this is dragging. This is taking a lot longer than we expected it. Well, to. episode two, we or hey, it's, reflection you know. two, we got a little silly. So if you want to see us silly and a little drinky, drinky. Uh, I think it was a re- reflection series episode two uh which was like us covering maybe episode like three and four or maybe just three or like we, like it was hilarious yeah we just talked yeah, you know par- well part but of we well we did definitely reflect on the series and the subject matter and uh you know there's that but it's there it's there for your all's amusement for your enjoyment well part part of study group is having fun this whole taking time to have fun with the things you're learning. And, most and definitely that. And the whole point of this whole thing is also to encourage all of you out there to join us mm-hmm. in studying John Verveke's Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. Uh, it's a masterwork. He's got a lot of great colleagues that he, he's he been working with. And he's standing on the sh- shoulders of giants to bring us this. And it's very much, I feel, an antidote to our times. Yep. And this is uh, this is really exciting to have come across and to be able to share with all of you. So... Once again, thank you guys for tuning in. Like and subscribe if you're enjoying the show. 
and share with your friends and family. And we are going to take a quick break. So we'll see you guys in just a few minutes. All right, we're back, we're back, we're back. We were just outside talking about how we can get so attached to our ideas and even new systems that humans will play with to try and make the world a better place. And our altruism can get ahead of us sometimes, can't it? Yeah, well, uh, worst harm can come from the best intent. We really got to be the change we wish to see. It is about being mode, isn't it? It's not about having a certain trait. It's about being loving in general towards one another. So we can all be more open and accepting and less attached to our ideas and realize that we're all here symbiotically working together as one great organism, a living planet that is self-reflective and self-aware now. And we get to decide where we go from here. But, uh, yeah, we're human beings, not human havings. Yes. Um, Yes, yes. We're not having human. We're being human. I don't know. Like, I don't. If you're a cannibal, maybe occasionally you have human, but that's that's different. <laughs> <laughs> or they're having the human to try and be the human. They're trying to take on its traits, aren't uh, they? Yeah. In, in um, I, I won't go on the spiel of uh, uh, the need for consumption idea, and right. cannibalism being the truest form of love, or nothing like that. But there's a whole there's a end of uh, end of that. Some things we'll never understand. Anthropology okay. is a wild, wild study. Oh, now we're on to episode nine, insight. Mindfulness is basically teaching us how to appropriate and train a flexibility of attentional scaling. So that's focusing of our intention from different levels of perspective. Yes. So that we can, like we were saying before, tuning in or getting a larger gestalt view when you zoom out. So that we can intervene effectively in how we are framing our problems and increasing our chance of insight when insight is needed. The willingness to put oneself in another's shoes, mm-hmm. developing practices that help us be more empathetic in those ways, open-minded and considerate, and deeply considerate as well, are what help us and, and knowing develop what, wisdom. And knowing what to consider, you mm-hmm. know, like being... Uh, yes, how can we train attention so as to cause, to be more insightful in general? Yeah, well, um, so we're not tuning into be it bullshit, right? Yeah, well, uh, yeah. So not just going after what is salient, but going after what is true, or making what is true salient mm-hmm. yes. for yourself, yes, for um, ourselves, yes. Uh, and you know, how ha- and f- framing the problem properly, and sometimes you, you know that it. Well, I won't say sometimes. Every time you have to break your framing to reframe, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the these scaling techniques, scaling in versus or scaling down versus scaling up, going from big picture down into feature, and then from feature into big picture, while also mm-hmm. going from transparency to opacity, and then into opacity to transparency, and it's 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 movements. Yes, um, it's like the lens is constantly focusing, and it can be pointing one yes. way, but inverse focusing, and then the or focusing in with where it's pointing as well. and um, That's it. And uh, just the practice of trying to imagine all the, I guess, positions and directions attention is facing is a good <laughs> practice in it of itself to kind of get you to be able to I like that pay better attention. Here. I'm highlighting the words as you're talking. Oh, really? I'm not highlighting yeah. aspects of, of, of the notes here that, that point. All right, well, that okay. agree with what you're saying there. And... Uh, 
as you were pointing out about positions to make one more dispositionally capable of insight yeah is how is why we utilize mindfulness techniques so michael Polanyi pointed out that attention has an important structure and in and out transparency to opacity yeah. shift yeah. yeah if you're wearing glasses you look through them but if you take them off you can look at them they have no they have become opaque to you the object yeah. of your scene yeah you're no longer looking through the lenses you're looking at the lenses and not what's behind the lenses yes yes so this is so uh, our attention is like an optim optimization process <laughs> we're optimizing our viewpoint for what is going to be most effective mm -hmm. and useful in yeah. that moment because well th in this case like with the glasses like you say you're trying to learn about your glasses well you don't need to be looking through your glasses you, you need to make them sufficiently glasses, opaque yes. so you can see the glasses make the outside opaque so you yeah. can focus on the glasses yes and and so the capacity for us to do that is what allows us to have active attention mm -hmm. and wisdom is a systematic set of insights that improve attention of our ex existential modes so we become more aware of how we're operating in the world conscious self more mm -hmm. more self-conscious more self-reflective and how we are interacting with our environment and attention has this unique structure that he's going to describe here now and thank you again to mark mulvey check out these notes anybody that's following awakening for the meaning crisis as well mark mulvey.medium.com so there are two states of awareness. Awareness through something, mm -hmm. such as through a probe, like the glasses. Or if you're tapping your way around a plastic cup with a pencil, mm -hmm. in order to identify the shape of the cup with the pencil itself, you're using a probe to see through. Even, then, your, even your hands are probes yes. to a certain degree. You know, you, you probe the world yes. with them as well. So, yes. or your, Well, your body's the ultimate you're probe for consciousness. Around, but yeah. yeah, Which is a sub... Uh, subsidiary focal awareness mm -hmm. or awareness at something which is an explicit awareness okay since you can shift between these attention is a structuring phenomenon the spotlight principle from the last episode fails to take this layered recursive structure into account mm -hmm. when it talks about attention a good example of this is literacy which we'll return to later you can integrate literacy into your thinking that you don't look at lit so that you don't look at literacy so much as you look through it. Yes, you, like yes, that, you're that not you're not reading a book and thinking like, oh, this word and this word and this word. It's like no, you're getting the message behind it through the literacy of understanding, you know, the the features mm -hmm. that make up the word and then the word and then itself and then the message. You're getting the message behind it, not just like not when you read a book you're not breaking down what is literacy and like no. you know sentence structure no. and all all that all that on stuff on some level there might be some active reading going on until you actually get into the flow yeah. of it but so many of us have read something where we forgot that we were reading it while we were yeah reading you're it. just creating the images in your head and you're just point. in it yeah and then you realize you're like two pages in and then you look back over it and you're like did i read it no no i did i right no because no, i remember this but i don't remember reading it yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, the I got to get back to actual reading um, paper. Paper is the, the superior the way to read. In addition to the in and out transparency to opacity shift, your mind is also shifting up and down from feature to gestalt, the idos to the structural functional organization, all the way down into the details and back, interpreting the letters that make up a word, the features, plus the word and its meaning, the gestalt. Again, the, the spotlight metaphor captures none of this. 
So you end up with a set of axes, the light, the left right of transparency to opacity and the up down of gestalt and features. Nothing is absolutely a feature. It's always relative to something else. The letters are a feature in the word, but the word is a feature in the sentence. This is a dynamic shifting through these axes by your attention, the scaling up of attention and the scaling down. Thus, the word meditation means to move towards the center. Mm -hmm. Contemplation is often today used as a synonym for meditation, but actually notice the etymology of this one of contemplation has temple at the center, which actually comes from the Latin to refer to the part of the sky you look at to see signs from the gods. To contemplate is to look up toward the divine. The Latin contemplatia was a translation of the Greek word theoria, which means trying to see more deeply into reality. And theoria is like the greater structure from which theories are embedded in. So meditation is actually about moving inwards and contemplation is about focusing outwards. Meditation emphasizes scaling down into contemplation, emphasizes scaling up and out. It's also like worship. Worship is outward sure. and reverential. Well, and, and so know? looking up in the It's temp- like the giving of love. Well, you'd see domed temples. And your attention is out to the wonder yeah. of the outward. Yeah. But there's also an internal aspect. And so all the great religions and the great philosophical, mystical teaching systems, the wisdom schools, they all taught in this non-dual fashion that you need both. Yeah, and the, you know, the you non-dual the attention, is... You need the contemplation yeah, it's the state well. of both at the same time opposed to just one or the other. Cause, um, and I'm sure we'll get into this in the notes, but if you say are too far down into the meditation, you get to the point where you're just stuck on the feature, like individual mm. features, and you choke on making a decision on what it is. That's right. So, it like, say, say well, a, a, a good way to ex- a good way to explain this is like bringing so, it into it, life. So, in math, the features, well, there are letters in math. Yes. But if you're only just looking at the letters and you can't read anything, interpret anything, you have to jump out and say, "Oh, this is algebra." <laughs> oh, right. these are yeah. you know. So you're you're stuck. You choke. Yes. So but then, if your you're attention. only looking out like at the whole thing and you're looking at this whole thing you're like oh it's some language but you can't get anything out of it because it's not actually language because so, you can't scale into and it, so you yeah. fixate and you're like well what is the language behind this yes. thing and it's like no it's it's math it's, yeah so but, too much of either yeah. or isn't gonna yeah. help us so one is the scaling up its downfall would be fixation you you get outside mm-hmm. the mold and then you fixate on just you know something mm-hmm. else like Oh no! It's the the world is this way. The world is flat. It is the you know. Ah yes. And whereas the other one is well, I can't tell whether it's flat or not. Like mm-hmm. I know, it's like I know it's like you yeah. know. Uh, so you you need the both to say okay, well, yes. Earth can't be flat because <laughs> I'm seeing that here you on the small. Need to be able to be yeah. thoughtful and yeah. considerate, but you also need to be able to yeah. actuate that potential and yeah. to help interact and inform and change the world. Yeah, and these so these physical practices we do whether they're like tai chi or you know kung fu or different sports and things like that um maybe not necessarily your like tv sports but different different games and sports actually do have a like a a worshipful component if you will to that sure. the, instead of just Sense doing of the acts yeah. yeah so like say with tai chi you can see these movements and they're moving in and out and expanding mm-hmm. as well as contracting as well as doing both. Then you have to think about, okay, your body moving through this, your breath, your steps through it, but you're also thinking the whole 
motion and sequence that you're going through as well so and you're doing this physically and mentally interaction with the outer world and it's an inward also meditative process Mm -hmm. so it's a moving meditation and when you the in and the out and then when you get to martial arts where you're participating with another person and sparring now Mm -hmm. you have another force that's outside of you that you're also connecting with and understanding that's doing the same thing with you as well yeah now you're like distributing your cognitive network at least in this sense, the non-dual state, like when you participate in these practices with others, it's not just so you can get a group of people together to do this thing. It's actually because it enhances yes. the experience. Now, the Tai Chi by enhances. itself is very good, but Tai Chi with a large amount of people, maybe you're Meditation learning a little bit more about more the month, pacing yeah. with everybody moving through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, that's why we know. Would yeah. congregate together and even philosophy the word itself is like the love of the fellowship yeah. love of wisdom uh, yes uh, and that they and not just having as like oh yes we all have this wisdom it's great so like developing and inter- with, with each other rather yeah. than just being yeah thrown around subject to existence we are a part of it we so are meditation both is the movement and inwards, the contemplation the focusing outwards we are the agent and the arena yeah so we recall the nine dot problem, if you guys remember that, mm-hmm. where people automatically take the nine dots to be repre- representative of a square and assume to connect the dots, c- assume it to be a connect the dots problem. The solution relies on not treating the problem categorically and to remove the idea of square from what you're looking at. So you have to break up the gestalt to deautomatize the cognition to make it more conscious. And this is done through a transparency to opacity shift. That's not enough. You have to widen your frame of awareness beyond the nine dots into the invisible whiteness Mm -hmm. of the paper beyond. And take what was in the background and change its relevance. So you're basically trying to solve this nine dot problem with like three lines or something like that. I forget what it is. Yeah, so it's um, it's one, two, three, four straight lines. Four straight so c- lines. connecting nine dots in a grid with without four straight up, yeah. lines without, without lifting up, up your pen. pen. So, yeah. um, if you try to just go from dot to dot and, and have can't no non-dot pens, yeah. you can't do it. But yeah. what it requires is you you Draw. to go all the way down yeah. past these the, are the last dots, dot, like one, two, three, one, two, three. You go down. Yeah, and it's like that or something. So you yeah. you you collect the 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 first row of dots and then you go halfway past and then you come up at an angle so you catch the second and uh, yeah, this yeah. next row down here and then you go across now you yeah. got all the outsides and now you just have two more dots that you need to yeah and also like Clever there's card. the assumption oh you're not supposed to cross lines or you know like we make these assum- automatic assumptions yeah we frame things yeah so you got to be able to break your frame and notice when you're framing something meditation is really good but for it that. is also in yeah so meditation is good for breaking the the framing that you have but you're noticing do, that you have frames at all yeah and yeah. It, but you do need to have but you have to have time then you read something philosophical for instance and you contemplate on it for yeah. a while you exercise the, the insights basically and then you need an a, a part of life where you actuate that too so you need yeah. the grammar the logic and the rhetoric yeah. you need this triad union of process to go through and that actuation process that can be art that can be dance that can and be it's, what and it's you. not an a to b b to c relationship either it's one of these and they're recur- also recursive, recursive yes they also feedback well, on so one another yeah. and empower one another which yeah. it, you know like i i can understand the 
the hesitance to want to like you know try to jump your brain into something like that and thinking like that just from the outside perspective because well we don't like we don't want to be a around, recursive we system want we want to, to know a and b and c watch or listen to our thoughts it sounds yeah. like a horrifying idea yeah actually when you detach yourself from the emotional weight of the thoughts and you just be the non-biased watcher there's just a clear awareness there and you'll notice it if you get deep into meditation that the thoughts and the emotions and the ideas are actually appearing in appearing to this awareness that we are and that part of awareness that aspect that ground of awareness you could say is not bothered by any of the emotions or thoughts it's actually noticing it's like when you get <coughs> upset angry stressed sad or happy you are feeling that happiness arise in you and who is it that is feeling that is the practice of self-inquiry the form of meditation where you're literally just keep going back into that sense of I and what is that that is appearing to and you're trying to inquire into it with a curiosity and uh, that is a, that's a beautiful process and it's, it's really it's a joyful process because then you see your ideas your thought patterns your habituated ways of seeing things arise to this clear consciousness and it's so unconditional that it sees it like with the eyes of love with a very uh, it's hard to describe but it, with a natural wisdom and it's it's funny you like kind of laugh and you have a chuckle about it and you're like oh i was being so hard on myself kind of reactions to the ways that we think and you can see how busy the mind is constantly trying to keep itself company um or just oriented to its environment busying itself to feel distracted from really ever being here in this moment we're somehow so afraid of it but to be here is of course the most beautiful thing have you ever tried to actively contemplate without using words to contemplate things hmm. like um mm, yeah so it's like yeah to really feel into it. i used to do that so instead of like lot. you know okay how do i f instead of saying to yourself how do i feel about this it's feeling how you feel about that yes. without having the word saying how do i feel about this it's mm -hmm. actually going through that having that really the, having the question is, without the words the being, being inquisitive yeah. without the language behind it yes um, that's exactly what you're trying to get to in yeah. meditation that and in best case scenarios you're able to do it such that you were you had you remember the orientation of tuning into the sense mm -hmm. of being here in this moment just the feeling of yeah. now and that feeling of i before any description i am this or i am that you get it that's an, that's a feeling that it's super familiar and it seems so mundane on the surface it's always been there it's not it's, it's something that we don't spend much time in but if you actually do visit it and spend time in you can cultivate the capacity to be in the stillness that still peace of that awareness for longer and longer durations and then it gives you more space around your your thoughts and the moments in your life you have more time you have more space to respond to you're not just going to jump to anger or reaction or emotional re reaction to something you're going to be observe what's happening in your body instead and be like oh i noticed emotion arising in me right now when this person just said that thing and that level of awareness is so beautiful and it's so helpful for us it allows us to be more patient more grounded not so easily blown around by this world and also more decisive and more more accurately inquisitive and more able to relate with everything and everyone around us in, in a you know, gloriously beautiful way that's like, like uh, 
you know, in the midst of an ongoing miracle. And we've all had these brief moments in life where we felt deeply immersed in a profound state of beauty, even if only for a moment when you saw the sky one night coming home and it was just like, wow, how beautiful is that? Yeah, it's it just takes you away for a moment. It's almost like a strange form of nostalgia when you like, I don't know, like, like see the dome of the sky and the stars upon the sky, that feeling you get, mm. which is it's just being or being, like the sense of beingness. Yeah. Like the first time you saw the sky when you were a kid or like going to a, like a, a planetarium and, and getting that feeling, but in a like synthesized manner. It's not the sky, but you still get that like still enough, okay. you know. And if you ever go out to big sky country, like you know, out in the middle of the country where everything's flat and low light pollution, you do get the feeling that I call it the snow globe effect. Like yeah. you literally it is feel like nostalgic. You're, I know what you mean, but it, it feels so familiar, yeah. like from childhood. Is it a dream, or is yeah. it actually a memory, or is well, it's it just like the something sense of I our forgot, natural awareness or? before all of our ideas were yeah. laden over and became filters of through which we begin to see the world. And seeing through these filters of perception from our conditioning and our ex life experiences and and so on is how we become so easily misaligned and misdirected and out of tune with one another. Yeah. We start to think that we're disparate because we are thinking in a sense from a sense of separateness from our environments from the world around us and yes of course we are separate beings we're separate creatures we and have everything like that but awareness through which we shine but, we but all, we're all interconnected and informed by one another we all live on the same planet yeah we all we're made of each other's ideas we're yeah. made of the same stuff and we're trading atoms all the time and we are definitely yeah. outgrowths of a planet and what you think you are chances are is probably more of less of your doing and more of everything else is doing and I, I don't mean to you know i'm yeah, not, no, I'm not making the nature versus nurture yeah. argument i'm making the agent arena argument like you know the the, the agent is nothing without the definition of the arena it, it, and the same thing is the arena is also well it's just a place until you put agents within it and now that place has meaning it really does so like yeah. what is you the way you think the way you form thoughts in your head and everything is actually more a doing of well, the arena than you'd think. Being in tune with the, what the arena actually is. Well, you realize, if you speak okay, English we're in the midst and, of an infinite, it, inexpressibly vast, yeah. impossible well, cosmos yeah, that it, somehow has birthed life. You are this being that gets to be in this time and place at well, this point in the species well, history. Yeah, so like, take it like this. If you, if you speak English as your first language, you didn't decide to speak English. It was the language taught to you. Mm -hmm. Oh, which is a language. You didn't decide to create this thing called language. It was over a long period of time. Well, the creature that created language didn't decide to creature. It was over a long time of creatures creaturing to make the creature. And then further and further back and further back and further back to the point where it's mm. the reason why we think the way we do is literally because electricity works the way it does. True. And when it gets into a super small scale in your brain, it starts doing funny things. Like, and when you get the network so small, it starts doing funny things. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, like literally the fact that you are thinking is a product of the way that, like, simple base fundamentals of the universe. Like, if we didn't have the idea of an elect, like, if the electron did not exist, the universe would not function the way it does, and you would not be thinking with an electrochemical brain. No. <laughs> wouldn't be thinking. Just saying, you know, like, uh, so, like. But that, that is sense of place. 
yeah. and sense of context and it under it helps us understand how interrelated we are yeah we are literally in the soup together yes we are the soup together <laughs> we are being the soup together <laughs> So if you scale down too much, it can mess you up. You lose yeah. sight of the gestalt, yeah. focus too much on specifics. If yeah, you scale yeah. up too much, you might get locked in the wrong frame of reference. So what do you do? You train people in both skills and train people to go between them, yeah. to coordinate and get the right degree of attentional engagement that is most dynamically fitted to the world. Yeah. So we develop mindfulness techniques yeah, to do so this. That was the, uh, that Teaching was us how to appropriate the training. The choking versus fixation yes. thing that we discussed. Yes, yeah. yes to appropriate train a flexibility of attentional skill and so that we can intervene effectively in how we are framing our problems and increasing our chance of insight when insight is needed. And that's a pro that's a point that's that we keep getting back to that they're highlighting here. Robert Foreman refers to the pure consciousness event, PCE, a kind of yeah. mystical experience you can have after extensive mindfulness practice. Yeah, that's that's at the at the center of meditation is the mm -hmm. pure consciousness event. Yes. And then the next one, what is it? Resonant at one meant occurs yeah. when you go the other way and scale up. Yeah, and a you participatory flowing sense of a at one meant the, the super flow state, if you will, not yes. just the flow state, yes. but super flow, and not like super like extra better flow, but like super like flowing like superimposed, super over. You know that usage mm -hmm. of the word super yes. opposed to um, transcendent. Transcendent. <laughs> resident resonant at one mint. A sense of at one or oneness with everything yep. around you. There's a third state, a state of non duality, which is the highest. Which is where you are experiencing both at once a prajna state. This is the state that is sought for, as it should lead to a comprehensive capacity for insight. And this is what Buddha discovered. Hmm. Siddhartha achieves this and when asked if he's a god or angelic being or prophet he says no and they ask him are you a man no then what are you and siddhartha replies i am awake he has remembered the being mode it seems that the more intelligent a creature is the more it will pursue altered states of consciousness we've noticed that caledonian crows will tumble down rooftops in order to make themselves dizzy so that they can then practice being attuned to their environment while being dizzy which is helpful survival and even Helpful if it is just fun, because you know life is getting it better at be, being life. It's fun because it's a positive, we yeah. get the positive feedback yep. loop. Because it also is optimal for survival. We'll notice mm -hmm. that what is most truly fun and engaging and meaningful oh, sure. yeah. is also well, all what the, is best for us. Yes, all the play that we do as creatures. It's fun that because we are it's dangerous. Is, yeah, and it's good. It's, it's fun to practice dangerous because it helps us to survive. Yep. And. So some people go into altered states and unlike a, it's basically helping us tune our evolution to be even more in concert with our environment. Well, it's giving giving more options to to re, more options and constraints to reveal more more potentials that that yes. could be actualized. We know reindeer eat amanita muscarium mushrooms. We know that dolphins like to share pufferfish, swim around and puff off the puffer fish and hey, share it with their mates cat cats even like catnip catnip <laughs> great example and some, yeah. you know not all dogs drink but some dogs do and they like it <laughs> that's and, true yeah. and some dogs like cannabis yep. 
some people go into altered states and unlike a dream state where we awake and realize it was real they claim it was more real than their conscious everyday reality watch the documentary the spirit molecule on netflix yeah curious um, that they call it a higher state of consciousness yeah and it it it's a weird thing too because it's like say like when you're dreaming and then you wake up well you know this is more real than the dream so this is real mm -hmm. so the problem happens when you have an experience say like y you know you're getting high off of something or i don't know you're using you know um you know like dancing fasting or going to really beautiful places to get that overview this this that bigger the real. the realer than real effect yeah. well you you've got an option you've either got to figure out how to keep yourself up there all the time or bring the world with you up mm -hmm. into that so yeah. you know like how do you make the world that realer than real around you yeah opposed to just doing the drugs because because eventually it runs out down and so it, it, there, there's a call now and a responsibility and a force pulling you into yeah. now you've got to make this you somehow like you can't stay up there all the time it doesn't work you've no still but, gotta you be can but you can bring to reality such that your experience yes. is on that level yes and you can help yes those around you yes yeah, you're into it, that yeah you got you if, if you got to change the world if you can <laughs> you <gotta laughs> yeah. yeah well it's it's definitely the more pleasurable alternative well and it's it actually does something too because just you know say like taking a substance or just doing it's the most meaningful alternative yeah just doing something it, it's it's okay it's only doing you any good but it's not really doing you any good because the drive the calling is there to like no like how do i make the world this real like how do i have this real Right. Like we do, yeah. we do it with dreams. How do we make dreams as real as waking life? And we call it like lucid dreaming. You know, the goal isn't so you can fly and you can have special powers. The goal is how do you can make your dreaming life as real as this life so you can understand more about, like, say, what your subconscious and your dreams are trying to tell you. Now move that one step up, trying to make this life as real as the realer than real, because like we need to use this life to to really come to terms with the universe and grasp the universe and become the universe. So it's, it seems know, just, to be the goal. It's like built yeah, in. Yeah. Life likes so the we, life, man. <laughs> we, we learned about opponent processing, mm -hmm. which we utilize that not too tight, not too loose yep. approach. Yep. That, um, what was that called? Soft vigilance. And to allow us in our opponent processing to attenuate ourselves ever more gracefully in this reciprocal dance with, with life itself. And mindfulness, then, is not just meditation. So we learned then about mystical experience here at the end. We're talking about how these mystical experiences are often ineffable. There is no content, no coherence, but somehow you're optimizing your capacity for making sense. So mystical experiences that come through uh, meditative and contemplative practices, as well as uh, plant medicines and various other things like dancing and fasting to mm -hmm. exhaustion, all these things that people do. Um, dancing to exhaustion and fasting that is uh, various practices that people do to get to these mystical states which are indeed ineffable and it seems that the mystical states themselves train us in our flexibility of motivational scaling mm -hmm. as Verveke puts it so being present allows us to be more insightful less representational, less inferential to gain mastery over our problem framing yep. indeed Indubitably.
So now we're down to episode 10. Ooh, yes. I think we can do it, guys. I think we're oh, actually going to finish it this episode. And, uh, well, you know, we won't linger too long here because we are, of course, encouraging you guys to dig in yourselves into the subject matter if you at all find it the slightest bit intriguing. Mm. I say you must. We need more people. We need as many people as we can get. Well, and that's, that's and that draw. creative journey. That draw to attune the realer than real with the world as it is now and not in a way where you're trying to change it from fear but in deep engagement yeah like change to understand it more because the reason why that feels realer than real is because that feels like it's more true let the truth be our ultimate motivation yeah to celebrate and share and not like the fractally colors and everything like that and the you know the the space creatures and all that stuff but the actual the, the insights that you don't get like you get insights in these experiences that can't be necessarily summed up yes. into knowledge within you words. You get epiphanies, pout on epiphanies, yeah. that tell an, ep- an epiphany story. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, how do you get those insights in the world? And bring them out this, into this the world, world. Into this world. You know. Yeah. And how do you, so we need others too because we work best with others. Like the best psychotechnology ever came up with was our psychotechnologies around trading mm-hmm. and then establishing. Um, uh, so you're trading rituals and then you're, um, what do you call them? Uh, proving your loyalty yes. rituals. Loyalty yes. rituals are the two best things we ever did because we need people. We, we need, need people, people to make our brains better, make our systems work better. We need each Different other. Different kinds of peoples and perceptions and ideas all playing together. Mm. Diverse ideas in union with one another. Yeah. Well, and yes, we're, we're, so, and we're social creatures damn it and like you know we have so many beautiful (laughs) perspectives of some very fundamental truths that we're starting to find in the universe around us and so these are going to be exciting times i think if we engage most fully and certainly we're going to go through hard times as well and god knows uh, what we could be facing they are coming and they're going to come hard and it's going to be unique we are capable (laughs) we are highly capable beings yes and if we can shine a way of deeply reverent wise considerate and powerful love i think we might just make the difference we need to make to skirt the precipice and to have new systems that can help replace the ones that are becoming obsolete that we can get to get on with this building of systems together Mm. as bucky fuller put it to create new systems that make the existing obsolete is far better way than mere resistance to the current state of affairs make something better that outmodes it that just literally works better that people just start to adopt more than the old way and the old way will fall apart in its own all right episode 10 yes most episode 10 is on consciousness most people know that consciousness is a mystery but most people don't realize that what consciousness does is also a mystery and this is John Verveke's speciality. Most people know that consciousness is a mystery, but most people don't realize that what consciousness does is also a mystery. As a cognitive scientist, Verveke's going to help us break this thing down. You do most things without consciousness. You have no awareness of what your brain is doing that allows you to generate speech, for example. Now, we have a global workspace theory, which is an idea that you... Your consciousness functions much like the desktop of a computer. You can activate files by bringing them to your desktop, and then you use, you broadcast that 
back to existing files. Hmm. Yeah, so you activate files, bring them to your desktop, and then you broadcast that back to your existing files. It involves ideas of working memory. It's a theory associated with Bernard J. Bars and has increasing evidence to support it. So instead of the, uh, what was the idea? Like the castle the with the castle rooms, room you know, theory. that... It, that yeah, that you have it's to more, go and access. It's more like your desktop. This is more how our, our consciousness actually functions. So it's like working memory. So, yeah, we, I can bring up my WordPad. I can type something that is going to broadcast back to the existing files and update them with new data. It's a theory associated with Bernard J. Barr's increasing evidence. The idea that this theory is that, the idea with this theory is that consciousness helps you zero in on relevant information putting information together in a relevant manner and using it in a relevant way to yeah. realize relevance is the activity of consciousness. Yeah. It's in, so we don't get overloaded with too many things. You know, the consciousness can bring things to the forefront that, that you need to and exclude, uh, and, and you foreground and background things. So you can tell, okay, well, you're working on this, right? Well, if you've ever had way too many windows open on your, on your home screen, it gets, or on your desktop, it gets a little, funky well yeah right an optimized consciousness can keep things order you know keep yeah. ordered and then it goes back to where it needs to go and then oh i know where to find this there's you know it's not necessarily an icon you click in your head but your brain you know and it's like oh what's that thing oh yeah it's this thing it kind of does that anyway unless you're a little slow and then you're like yeah what's the word <laughs> for that man what's that word you know it's that word we use all the time Get too man. many words in your head yeah. that can happen you can only keep track of so much at once the idea with this theory is that consciousness helps you zero in on relevant information to realize relevance. Measuring the brain function of someone conscious looks similar to the brain activity of people when they're chunking information, restructuring it like an insight. That's interesting. Tononi's integrated information theory from his book Phi, his model of consciousness is around how tightly integration how tightly integrated information is a complexification of information. Consciousness can be reduced when a problem has been well-defined, doesn't have a high degree of novelty, and doesn't require insight. But if those things are required, then consciousness is needed. Interesting. Yes, because we can be very automatic. We can, like, autopilot drive, for instance. Yeah, you know, you're driving, then you're, you like, almost home. home, and you're <laughs> like, damn. Whoa. <laughs> I didn't hit anybody, did I? What's going on? This theory explains why when you have an insight, you have a flash, a sudden brightening of consciousness. That's why we have that light bulb metaphor. Part of what consciousness is doing is it's creating a salient landscape, a futurized landscape, futurization. You're not paying attention to everything in the room. You can't, but you can yes. foreground some of the information and you gestalt what's foregrounded into a figure an idea of that room. This, we use the phrase figuring out, and then you frame problems or potentialities. The salience landscape, these four features of feature, foreground, figure, and frame, the arrows actually go both ways, allow you to get an optimal grip on things. And affordance opens up in a presence landscape. Now, this is how our consciousness yeah, is functioning. Yeah, so before we get into the presence landscape, so like with the... You would walk into a room, you'd see a bunch of people all looking in one direction, you'd see a person in front of that. So now, okay, you're in a room, there's people, the people are oriented in a way, it draws your eye to look that way, oh, there's a person at the center. Mm -hmm. Okay, that person at the center, 
what are they doing? Oh, they're talking to the people and they're all paying attention. Oh, I must be mm. in a classroom or a lecture. Mm. Oh, okay. So now you figured it out instead it's of like, boop, 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 boop. it's not, it fast. It, yeah, no, yeah. And you know, it's like, well, you forefront, like, so you go, you, well, the first the capacity. people in the room gets forefronted, but mm-hmm. then you get drawn to where everybody else is looking now. Oh, yeah. that Lay person the room, is the, the forefront the of it. Oh, that's the te- uh, particular person. Yeah. And yeah. And, um, and then, oh, I figured it out. This is a lecture. And then you have to listen to it and figure out what the lecture is about. Yes. So um, this, this feature of consciousness helps us to zero in on relevant information. Vast information needs to be selected from. It's helpful to be able to zero in on whatever relevant information is available in a way that's needed as accurately and quickly as possible. So conscious, consciousness is tightly associated with our work and memory. And... Let's move on here with Mark's notes. Part of what consciousness do in creating a salience landscape. This salience landscape, these four features, foreground, or feature, foreground, figure, and frame, mm-hmm. allow us to get an optimal grip. An affordance opens up in a presence landscape. It becomes graspable by you. You don't see colors and shapes. You see affordances, things that you can sit on. Yes. This is walkable. This is where I can place things. I'm a grasper, and this is graspable. This is how our consciousness is formulating itself as it moves through reality. Your brain is figuring out causal patterns versus merely correla- correlational patterns in a depth landscape. Hopefully. Hopefully it's doing this accurately. Mm-hmm. So to recap, when you transform a salience landscape into a presence landscape and identify an affordance, something you can interact with, and utilize, then you test its causal patterns in a depth landscape. This is what consciousness is doing for you. So it's playing out all the potentialities of what can happen in this depth landscape. Part of the way in which you become wiser than a child is because you've trained your salience landscape to zero in on the relevant information in the relevant way. Mm -hmm. When you can process salience to presence to depth landscapes, you can create a significant landscape that protects you from bullshit. Yeah, what why okay, so why why is this lecture and these people in there in organized the way they are? Why is this significant? Yes, oh, why is this useful? Because you gain knowledge. Oh, this mm. this particular kind this of is knowledge. Ke- this too. is chemistry 101. Oh, this yes. is the class that I'm late to. <laughs> <laughs> That's particularly even more relevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh crap. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> to the present moment. Oh, sure, cuz like yes. a kid that doesn't have to go to college doesn't like there it's not well, other than the initial, okay, the teacher's up there, but it becomes more relevant. It's like, oh, well, okay, I'm a student here. Oh, this is my class. Oh, I didn't do my homework. Oh, I'm unprepared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I should have paid attention. <laughs> Some altered states of consciousness can bring you to this profound perception of consciousness, not in consciousness. But others actually lead to the opposite, an illusory illusory relation with reality that you can perceive to be false. So why is this? People have reached these higher states of consciousness. And when they do, they have a sense that that's the way the world really is. And this is who I really am. Verveke calls this problem, this the problem of autonomativity. I think that's right. Autonomativity. These higher states of consciousness are called higher because they're challenging you to change, because they're presenting you more realness. So why is ontonormativity a problem? 
because unlike dreams, we go into these higher states of consciousness and come back and think reality is less real than what we just experienced. Yep. So we have to change ourselves <clears throat> now to live up to that, to make that more likely again, to, to, or more present to us, that reality that we just experienced yep, and you, of what love and oneness with everything. And you go about it doing two ways. Either you have to keep going back up into that world, into that realm, which doesn't necessarily work, or you change the world that you're in. And that's what yes. we were talking about earlier. That's the, and I think there's a word for it, but that calling, that feeling you get to do that. Well, you can get addicted to just the feeling. Yeah. The practices, the rituals that are there to help us further develop our insights in, and allow us to even better actuate ourselves in the present environments. We're constantly updating that machinery, ongoing rituals, perhaps amongst people's practicing wisdom for this reason could be useful so why do you reject your dreaming as unreal that's an interesting question because unlike you know unlike dreams these higher states of consciousness uh well they stick around you know that's that sticks and they still feel more real than what we experience and you tend to do yeah you tend to do them while you're awake now that doesn't happen with dreams but it does with higher states of consciousness yeah Yeah, yeah. they remain more real than like ultimate they have an ultimate reality sense to them yeah and, and this is like the game within that reality and by, and by like getting into that while you're awake there's more continuity between consciousness and that event than there is between s- dreams and waking consciousness because there's always a threshold barrier between being awake and being asleep and you can feel it sometimes. You can feel falling into yeah. your dreams or, you know, or being pulled out of a dream. But there's always a threshold break where it's like, I don't know, you get into a good trip that's really impactful. It just seems to, like, pull you. Okay, you're completely sober, conscious, and aware. And then, <laughs> oh, there's, oh, 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 oh. And then back down and you're let back down and then you're like, oh. <laughs> and you're still awake instead of like when you're dreaming it's like okay go awake. to sleep and then oh, i had this crazy dream and then i was ripped out of it and then you're like eh, okay. oh okay yeah, yeah. Oh, everything uh, yeah. Hurts. especially yeah, in the midst real. of that peak state yeah it, it feels like 100 percent awake like you've been mm-hmm. asleep all your life yeah i have reached that point in dreams though where you feel like your your eyes are opening up again like you're waking up again <sighs> within the dream and that's when the dream becomes really, really real, and you realize you are dreaming. Yes, um, lucid dreaming. No, and I would and say beyond, like, beyond the be, lucid beyond dreaming. Beyond the lucid, but becoming aware that you're like waking up within the lucid dreaming. Yeah, and, and then realizing the space that you're in. That's not there just are your own head. To it, though, uh, yeah. I've noticed I've become, I've become able to become aware that I must be dreaming. This isn't quite fair, but I was still in the circumstances I was in the dream. In the dream, I was being chased by like Agent Smith kind of characters in the Matrix. And I was running through these old dilapidated buildings, like in some bombed out city or something. And they kept catching up to me and almost getting me. And I just was barely scrambling away each time. And they were so much faster and stronger than me. And I was like, this isn't fair. Then I realized, oh, that's right. And I can control this. And that was about as much as I realized it. Mm-hmm. And but I, then I took control of the dream. I became lucid and it became just so fun. And I was like, "All right, so let's run as fast as you want." But see, I was still in, and so I, at this point, you know, I'm running down the walls to go around corners, and I'm doing gymnastics on elevator shafts, you know, rolling through windows and all of this in this effortless flow state that felt so cool. 
And of course, I was still in the circumstances of that dream. I didn't realize, oh, you could travel to ancient Egypt or go to Mars right now or to a whole other solar system or go and have a conversation with Buddha or do whatever you want. <laughs> uh, well, you, you, you quickly come into the limitations of your own imagination when you start opening, like you realize it's like, okay, oh, I can fly around, but okay, I'm going to fly around the, the world. And you're like, well, I don't even know what that looks would look like going <laughs> at that speed. So you do a lot of guesstimation work and yeah. you're building as you're doing it. But then there's other times. So I have Interesting. Uh, experienced this a few times where you'll be walking from your standard unlucid but visceral dream state where you're starting to come to terms with like oh okay i'm dreaming and then it feels like you walk through one pressure and then it it, it's it's like walking into a pressure but also relieving from a pressure and then you break through to the next state and it gets clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer until you're at what i don't know i'd call like the source landscape that we can all participate in and this is where you meet people and entities and different things much like you do when you're in a dmt trip or ayahuasca um, it's just, you, you do it from the in, the inside out opposed to the outside in. It's, it's yeah. a very weird thing, but it's, you're moving through pressured layers until it clears up. And, you know, the place I was, was a mishmash conglomeration of my own familiarities of my own worlds and neighborhoods and everything, but also mixed with other people who are there. So it was one of those things. If you looked at it directly, you could only see pieces of it but you're aware of the entire gestalt of it. Um, And, you know, you can see some people and you can't see other people because you have no conception for what they're going to look like because maybe they're that so such vast, vastly different than you are being the fleshy thing that you are, that you can recognize them as being there. You just don't have a mechanism to, or a image or a, um, Uh, an analogy for them to put in place you know it's it's like because you can imagine alien you know big head big eyes tall whatever because well it's it's got arms eyes and whatever and you can even imagine one that's like squid like and whatever but how can you imagine something that isn't just tied to a three-dimensional physical form well you really can't so your brain does the best it can have the imaginal capacities and i've been to places that were you know like classrooms brought in by you know the uh, pay attention to the guys in your dreams that got the big eyes and you might be they may be animals or they may be something that freaks you up big eyes and they look into you and you get the feeling that you should follow them go ahead and follow them i don't know what that oh. is i don't know if it's part of you or if it's parting something else or whatever it is but yeah no um but walking out of the say this you know walking back into the pressures of being asleep it's almost like a blanket being put back down on you when you wake back up the memory of it is not nearly as clear as it was being in there. Whereas when you're in the high state from awake going into this high state and coming back down, you have the, you don't have the sensation of it anymore, but you have the memory, even though you can't like, you have the information in there, even though it's ineffable and you can't talk about it. Yeah. Whereas in the dream, it, it fades unless you really go back and revisit it. And that's like the degrees of realness on either side are both super real but intangible and ineffable. Mm. And then Mm. we're in the middle and we're trying to, you know, make the realness or make this the realness as real as the other reals. Now, mind you, the the dream state, I I do not want this physical universe to be like what it is when you go through the pressures into the center landscape that everybody shares. 
because it would be too chaotic and we would have no order or nothing and it would no be no that's very that's the realm of imagination yeah which we create this reality <laughs> yeah like yeah. you're saying but yeah. i also i don't want to be in the highest state where i'm constantly communicating with space elves and seeing fractals everywhere either it's the no, of course it's not. bringing yeah. the combination in between maybe build a beautiful structure that has these visuals no, you go to the mountaintop to get advantage to yeah. get to yeah prove to yourself that you can that you can climb yeah. that mountain and you might to learn not what that mountain can teach yeah. you about yourself and about the world to be able to see yeah. from it to get a far vantage point if you need to be able to make broad plans yeah great that, yeah. changes require great undertakings yeah of t- us. talking about dreams though, i could talk about dreams forever yeah that was wild that's amazing yeah that sounds like a psychedelic trip oh it did very much as and it's one that you well, that's what the brain's doing, basically, when you're drinking. Yeah, right. you know, it's, it's firing like, off. <laughs> Dimethyl treatment. Yeah, I don't need the exogenous me. stuff. I already got the endogenous stuff. You just got to move Indeed. through your dream pressures to get there. Okay, so learn about the nature of consciousness. Why is autonormativity a problem? Because unlike dreams, we go into these higher states of consciousness and come back and think reality is less real than what we yeah. just experienced. Why do you reject your dreaming as unreal, though? What happened in your dream doesn't cohere with the rest of your life. And HSC, higher states of consciousness alone, don't cohere. But this difference is so great that you don't reject the higher state. You reject reality because it's so much more magnificent, interconnected, meaningful, information loaded, um, all of these things. And, you know, the sense of holiness, the sense of oneness, these are quite incredibly profound life-affirming, life-altering experiences. So yeah, you come back to this reality and you're like, whoa. Just like when people come back from near-death experiences. um, They don't also contain intelligible content as dreams can. They're ineffable. They're transrational. They're beyond rationality. This is a perplexing, perplexing situation because there can be quite profound epiphanies and life realizations within oneself and you can come out and change yourself for the better having recognized these things so it's it's hard to explain how these things are told to us because they're told deeper than a language they're told like through geometry that is language and insights that are so interweaving and complex that are part of an animated movement that is beyond anything you've ever seen in any computer graphic simulation in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, like the underlying nature of of reality and the infinite creative capacity of God is being expressed through every pixel of everything around you. So these higher states should be what we most reject <laughs> since they contradict so much of our actual reality. Like I probably sound crazy saying that shit, but we don't discount them. We promote them as the really real. We can't help it. They're like, well, that was realer than real. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm telling you this is the experience. This gets to the heart of the axial revolution. It still informs our cognitive way of being today. Here's the thing. Those that encounter, experience these higher states of consciousness, long-time practi- practitioners in various uh, wisdom schools from Buddhism to Christianity and so on, their lives get better. Through all kinds of measures, meaning, relationships, etc., they are actually okay. I'm actually losing losing mark here. Are they actually philosophically justifiable, or are they just an illusion? 
It's a question. Part of doing good cognitive science is integrating different descriptive levels in our accounts. Cognitive processes, information processes drawn from AI, machine learning, and neuroscientific accounts of what's happening in the brain and combining all of these into plausible integration. Mm. Riveki will argue in this series that this integration provides rational justification for these higher states of consciousness. They are informative to us. They are meaning-making for us. Not that these states provide us with any special knowledge, but rather that they want us, they help us want to change their, our functioning. You're not gaining knowledge, you're gaining wisdom. Okay, yeah, so I, I misread that. Not that these states provide us with any special knowledge, but rather that they change your functioning. They really yeah. do impact on us. They don't give you knowledge, they... They give they you wisdom, a how capacity. You, yeah, they help you. Yeah, how you gain it, if you will. Yeah, um, you're gaining skills, sensibilities, and sensitivities of significance landscaping in this cultivation of awareness that radically transform your existential mode of being. So this is not about or your existential mode in general because you could be in a mode of having rather than a mode of being. A mode of having and needing. Your association with the world is of having, so you always feel like needing but if you have an association in the world of being, you feel an interbeingness with it, and you live a life honoring that, you feel in a deep sense of congruence and a dance that is deeply meaningful. So this is not about getting supra-scientific knowledge. It's about getting extraordinary wisdom and transformation, which we will most absolutely need and be able to utilize in these times. Yep. Yes. Yeah, the function is to de determine what is relevant, to track the complexity, pick up the patterns, make sense of the world. Yeah, and, so, yeah. and, and doing that. Anything and that gives us insights, flashes and brightening of that conscious awareness. And, and continuously expanding our ability to, or what's the word, enhancing our mm -hmm. ability to, you know, because the, these participating in these higher states of consciousness it's not just that it feels good or anything. No, it, it literally enhances your ability it to feel, yeah. grasp things, to feels understand things, to learn to things. Yeah. Too. It's applicable in yeah. almost every every. Yes, they feel part. good, but why do they feel good? Yeah. Because they're actually doing something that is so deeply functional for us. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and they're yeah they're helping us recognize more affordances affordances in our world. Yeah, things what can become you become super know? salient that we need yeah, to be super salient? Like it, 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 like it gives us more. You know, okay, we know a screwdriver, like flathead screwdriver, screw unscrews flathead screws, but it can also, oh, open paint cans. Mm. Oh, you can also use it to short, short between two electronic things to jumpstart yes. something. Or yes. ah, I can use it as a pry bar as well. So oh, but I can also, you know, yeah, yeah. you're playing around in the significance yeah. landscape now. Yeah, and just, All the affordances that you could have yeah. with the things that are present, so that we can flow with our environments yeah. more effortlessly. That's the name of the game. Yeah, and these higher states, like they, they, they challenge us to change. Yeah, and open up the world of affordances mm -hmm. a little bit more too. That you know. It, it gets your brain to start coming at problems from different angles, so that's then you it. can look at it at that's, different that's angles. Exactly. It. Yeah. yeah, they present more realness and trigger our meta drives. Yeah. And so there's a good book that he brings up, "Waking from Sleep." At that point in the series, thirty to forty percent of people have these 
mystical experiences. They trigger quantum change. And the quantum change would be um, the realizing of the existence of a higher state. Is that what that was? I believe. Yes. N knowing that yes. you can you can change from one state to another, mm -hmm. um, which which is a big thing, you know, because like, and, and I don't know until you've done any type of psychedelic or had any type of awakening experience, it's pretty much you know you got dreams and what real life is. Um, Right. But you can actually change through states of consciousness and understanding. Absolutely, yeah. Because the world states. feels different when you come back. You feel like, oh my god, I woke up. That's why people have this term "woke" right now. That really caught on. Yeah. And now has become like a moniker of self-identification, just by supporting the current thing. People think that they're a part of some awakening, and no, awakening is never calling oneself woke. I would think it would be more like constantly awakening, constantly self-correcting, constantly yeah. upgrading the information, or I'm, I'm awake. challenging one's own <laughs> conceptions, so that we're in a process of awakening. Yeah, because we're never done. There's no cap to enlightenment. We've never figured it out well, all the way. There's always more to say, more for us to talk on, so we can attune ourselves is not woke together in more harmonious tense. ways. Do what? Is not woke past tense? Like... Yeah, it yeah, is, right? Yeah, you're already done, man. I already did it. Yeah, yeah no, man. I'm woke. That's too I already short. Did it. It's too certain. Yeah. It doesn't work, man. It just doesn't work. We can't be that dogmatic, fundamentalist style with our belief systems. We become ideologically possessed when we do that. This is harmful to religion. This is harmful to any kind of beneficially intended ideology that one partakes in. This is why that sense of uh, interconnection is so important mm -hmm. for us to realize and and experience that we know that it's true you come back and you're like oh my god yeah of course i am interrelated with everything i was just the roots of that tree for three hours yeah. trading nutrients with it and experiencing its life oh man i was and a i was a shelf inside of a building yeah, man. i had forgotten i was an earthling man yeah, right. yeah you come back home yeah. and you realize what a miracle we get to take part in and life yeah. takes on a, a a hue and you know a difference different flavor and that's that's helpful for us so yeah that's uh that's what verveki is just with the, the first 10 episodes told told us he's going to do yeah all this was basically just <laughs> this is what i'm planning on doing and this is the most basic timeline you need to understand with from well at least from here to the mindfulness revolution but there's more timeline that's going to expand but yes this is just the you know the first fit the first fifth. Wow, that's difficult yes. to say. Yes. Of a whole series that literally justifies the rational, or the, provides rational justification for higher states of consciousness, not merely for how they can provide us any particular kind of special knowledge, but rather that they help us change our functioning. We're not gaining knowledge so much as we're gaining wisdom and acuity with the world. We're gaining skills and sensibilities and sensitivities of significance landscaping that will help us radically transform our existential modes to deeper and deeper states of interbeing with one another in the world around us. And indeed we can use that help in these times. Oh yeah. Ooh, yeah. That is for sure. Turn it into a pumpkin. We did it. We made it through four episodes. Yes. Ah. Yeah. We can go in back this, to the lecture series now. Yeah. In this reflections series within our uh, ongoing contemplation of John Fervake's awakening for the meaning crisis series. Yep. and we will be continuing on this journey weekly at 8 p.m. EST every week that we are able 
And so stay tuned for that on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook. And make sure to like and subscribe. Share with your friends and family if you find this at all interesting. And absolutely encourage yourself and anyone else you think will listen to delve into this landmark series and uh, join us you know we can conversate on this call into the show share your thoughts and questions we'd love to talk with you guys in the chat so hit us up there on youtube or wherever you're watching mm-hmm. say hello and uh yeah we'll be seeing you guys soon oh yeah we got a show coming up american dharma uh dj and i playing a band for anyone that's just now tuning in called american dharma and we're playing a show in baltimore baltimore maryland at zen west this friday and i believe doors are at seven or eight so just come on out it's gonna be a good time nice. we're gonna be playing with Benny okay uh the original eight um or no no the original heads and rise eight sorry i went dyslexic <laughs> for a moment there uh, yeah and that's gonna be awesome that's gonna be a lot of fun and then we're gonna be playing uh on december 31st uh new year's eve we're gonna be rocking out in hagerstown at rnk pub so you guys can come out and uh Rock into 2023 with us. That'll be a fun time. We're going to be playing with uh, Disfigure at that event. And so, yeah. Come on out. Rock with us. Thank you guys for tuning in. Anything else? Nope. I've been DJ. I've been Chris. All right, guys.